you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to Patreon.com slash Media. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 176. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my son and only my son today, Chris Reagan. Mm-hmm. Chris, how are you today? I'm well. Mm. I'm well. I'm doing all right. I've been playing a lot of games, mm, which is rare for me. I feel like mm. I never really, I don't know, I feel like I never have the, uh, the, the, the mental energy to expend on multiple things at once, but lately I've been feeling charged up. I totally yeah. understand. I totally agree. Well, it's uh, it's good to see you. We'll we'll get right into it. Dustin is missing this week. Executive producer, usual cohort here, but uh, he has uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. He got he came down with the COVID. He's fine, but I think you know he's just a little bit under the weather. You know, I was wondering, I'm like, can't you play through it? But you know, he couldn't. He couldn't play through the COVID. Yeah. Chris, I was thinking, he's not here. He can't hurt you right now. Dustin can't hurt you. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> How you feel about it going back to just me and you for this this episode? It feels uh, it feels old. Yeah, it in does. Some sort of way. Yeah. It feels like vaguely nostalgic. Mm. You know, like ah, it's the it's the old days, right? Except we're innocent. not in person, so it's a little different. Right. But still, it is different. But yeah, those innocent pre-COVID days. Yeah. Talking about PlayStation World, not quite ending as quickly as it is now. 
Yeah, I remember when we thought uh, 2020 would feel like a futuristic year. Oh my God, I know. (laughs) It's so funny that that year, that seminal year, ended up being a horrible, horrible year. We all anticipated at first that 2012 was going to be one of those like horrible years, but it kind of went, came and went and nothing really bad happened. So yeah, it was going to come eventually. Yeah. One day. All right. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to be here with all of you out there as well. Thank you so much for tuning in, being here for Sacred Symbols of PlayStation podcast, our weekly PlayStation podcast. You can get it three days early and ad free by supporting us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash last media. We really, really appreciate your support over there. We couldn't do without you. Many thousands of you over there supporting us. That kind of support also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, which we read throughout the show, as you know. In addition, Sacred Symbols Plus, we do that twice a week only on Patreon. Lots of episodes have gone up recently about trophies, AI, Techland, Q Games. We've done uh, Deathloop review discussion and spoiler cast. Spoiler cast and review discussions for games like Tales of Arise, Call of Duty, Far Cry 6, all upcoming. So come join us over there. We'd love to have you. And remember, you can buy merch at laststandmedia.shop. And a shout out to my sister, Allie, once more, AllieAndAyla.com, A-L-I-A-N-D-A-Y-L-A.com for 20% off her merch as well. She makes nice handcrafted jewelry, pretty popular here in central Virginia. Let's keep it all in the family. 20% off over there. Thank you, Allie, for doing that as well. I think that's really cool for our female audience, for those looking for female-oriented presence, and of course, for the androgynous and gender fluid amongst you as well. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris. Yeah, there's. It feels like we're getting into it kind of quick because we don't have Dustin here. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and there's no offense to Dustin, of course. It's just that the show becomes longer when there's another person. No, it's of course, that, yeah. It becomes longer, so we're gonna. We have a big episode today, but I, I wonder how long it's actually gonna take us. But I wanted to get into a few opening inquiries here from the audience. Set the tenor of right. our show. Chronicles of DJ wrote in and said, "Hello, CDC." Last night. I had to take my wife to see a specialist, and while she was being tested, the last Stan Media fly incident went through my head. I noticed my wife's doctor's fly was down. I contemplated what I should do. As the doctor wrapped up, wrapped up his tests and walked to the door, I said, Doctor, one more thing, your fly is down. He quickly apologized and seemed quite embarrassed. I felt maybe I should have let it be, and also super glad he was wearing underwear. Well, yeah, I personally well, think he did the right thing. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You did him a solid. You stopped him from being further embarrassed later on potentially but here's the thing though if everybody that that man came across had decided not to tell him then he wouldn't be embarrassed at all he would be none the wiser and he would live a a completely fulfilled happy life and what you've done now is you've you've implanted a seed of doubt into this man's brain where every moment of every day he's gonna be looking down he's gonna be like deep yeah You've just that, implanted an, an entire like different genre of anxiety into this man. So I hope you're happy. Yeah, it's I didn't. <laughs> this is why we need more than one person talking about these things, talking these issues through, because I don't think I would have ever even contemplated that. That's an incredible note. Well, Chronicles, yeah. I don't know if you did the right thing or not anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's all ambiguous now. It's kind of like like when I was younger, my friends and I, we would like uh, I had like demented friends. They would send me like really fucked shit from like live leak and shit. And like yeah. just like car accidents and like people like getting hit in the, in the street. And now and now because of that, I look both ways two million times <laughs> every time I cross the street. I look like a like a like an oscillating fan. And it's like a really unpleasant <laughs> thing to witness. Now, do you do that because you don't want to become part of the accident and injure, die, injure yourself or die? Or is it because you don't want to be on live leak? Well, I, I guess both, mm. <laughs> you know, but also just like, I don't know. You, you have to presume like when I see another person. Like in a situation like that, I assume like 
they must have about as much, you know, human perceptibility as I do. And if they can succumb, or if they can't tell that a, a Bugatti Veyron is, like, beaming down the street at 200 miles an hour, who's to say I could, you know? So I just, like, make sure, triple, quadruple, octuple, quintillion check, you know? But, but I think that's too much. That's too much. Oh, I know it is, but I can't stop. No, I understand. <laughs> it's funny being in California, like, thinking about my experience there, in San Francisco especially, but it was like this in L.A. too. I always think it's funny people wait for the lights to change when you're walking. You it know? is funny, yeah. It's hysterical. Like, people will stand there for, like, two minutes waiting for it to say walk when there's nothing going on. I'm like, I'm crossing the fucking street. And I used to hear people say they get tickets, but I never got 13 years. I never got ticketed. I never got a ticket either. I think I, I heard a story from a friend of mine who got a ticket. And I was like, that's pretty unlucky. But I had my New York ID for a very, very long time while I was in L.A. So like most of the time, I felt like I could probably get away with it. Yeah, like if ignorance. So, yeah, yeah. I'd be like, ah, I'm from New York. What do you mean? We always do that. And everybody knows that. So like, <laughs> yeah, I, th- that's a common thing. People just wait for the light, even when there's no cars and it's nighttime and shit. Like, it's very bizarre. Chris, I wanted to consult with one other person here real quick. She wrote in her name is Nix. Nix, of course, the goddess of the night. Mm-hmm. She says, hey, CDC, every so often people write in and say, why, what are they doing while they're listening to Last Day Media Podcast? As a funeral director, I listen to the various shows on the job while, I'm, while I am embalming, filling out death certificates, driving to the crematory and during my downtime between appointments. My boyfriend introduced me to Sacred Symbols three years ago, and I have been a weekly now daily listener ever since. Thank you for making my workdays a little more uplifting and giving me something to share with my partner. That's awesome to hear, Nix. Thank you for writing in. Here's the thing I need. Now, I want to be cremated when I die. My, yeah. my, I'm very clear about that with my family. It's like a dead ass serious thing. Like you under no circumstances are I might be buried in a box. Oh, you understand? yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, so make sure when you're at the make sure that everything's up and up if you're still alive when I die, which I'm sure you will be. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I'll make sure. Yeah. Like just be like, is everything just come in one day? Just be like, is everything as it should be? I'll, I'll burn you myself. I'll walk yeah, in for <laughs> the second. The moment I hear better. about it, I'll, I'll come in with a. Was it was a lighter in a in an aerosol can or whatever? You'll be like you'll be like the Soviets burning Hitler's body outside the Führer bunker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's good to hear from from various people that do these jobs. I'm fascinated by the funeral. Like, you know, you often see it in dramas or even comedies where it's kind of funny. It's the dour down dude trying to sell you a casket or something. But in reality, there's this like really interesting economy of people messing around with dead bodies. But what I was going to say was I would like it if when I die and I'm cremated that the person cremating me is listening to sacred symbols while they're doing it. Is that something that we, we can arrange for <laughs> the last episode or whatever? Yeah. Or just an episode, just random episode 78. I don't know. Episode, just play it while- episode, episode like, like what? Like 2000. Yeah. Episode, yeah. Just exactly. I don't want to put a date on it and make myself nervous because it's like when I was a kid and I used a Ouija board and it told me I was going to die when I was 23 and I obsessed about that and was very aware when I was 23 that the Ouija board told me I was going to die when I was 23. Very <laughs> aware of it. That's a really amusing. Yeah. My friend that was with me, I remember, I don't know if he remembers, so I don't want to bring it up that it said he was going to die when he was 56. Now, if that actually happens, I'm going to be like, holy, holy shit. The Ouija board from 1991 predicted that this man was going to die. <laughs> In it's 2040. I, I always thought it was a crematorium, but I guess I this, always thought that as well. But yeah, it's not. but I guess not. Yeah, because it's like a professional. She would know more than we would. But for some reason, crematorium is like a thing that's in my head. I agree. Is that maybe the difference is like. A place where you cremate many bodies as opposed to a place where you cremate one body or a one body at a time. A body. That makes a sense. Cr- 
a cremation going on at a time as opposed to multiple cremations. But Nick, yeah. thanks for writing in. Glad to have you here with us. And if you're the one, by the way, that takes care of my body when I die, you have your instructions. <laughs> AJB wrote in and said, hey, gents, you often talk about people uh, about, well, about what people do when they listen to your podcast. I've been listening to Sacred Symbols during my long runs and training for my first marathon. I completed it last week and ran close to the Boston Marathon qualifying time. Three minutes and nine. Uh, I'm sorry, three hours and <laughs> three minutes, three hours and nine minutes. Just wanted to say thanks for the entertainment through the grind of long runs. Love the longer episodes. Love it. That's the stuff. Yeah. My sister's a marathon runner, and I have a lot of respect for uh, people that that do it. It's inc- like she you have to step up and step up and step up and step up. And then you have to like draw it back as you're training. It's a very interesting because I run every day and I, I do a lot of stuff on the elliptical and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm thinking about trying to get involved in some local like five and 10K races because I can definitely bang those out. No problem. A really? marathon. Yeah, oh, definitely. No, I, I'd have no problem with a 5K. None. Like no doubt about it. Okay. 10K, I don't think I'd have a problem with it either. I have a lot of stamina from just doing cardio all the time, every day. Lots of cardio. Oh, but, that, uh, yeah, that would yeah. make sense then. If you're yeah. doing cardio all the time, that doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, I lift like two out of three days, but I do cardio every day. So, and that's just because if I don't, I'm going to turn into fucking Augustus Glut before your very eyes. <laughs> you understand? Yeah, I remember that character, that beloved character. That beloved character from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka. Yeah. Genesis Point wrote into us and said, Dear CDC, this is for the all-father Colin, but love the opinions of the sons as well. Dan Stapleton of IGN recently tweeted that he would quit his job if people could prove that review scores are paid for. Of course, no one could provide evidence and any theories were shit on by Dan. I feel like it was just patting himself on the back for making an argument that he couldn't lose, further driving a rift between the media and its audience. What is your opinion? Thank you, boys. Keep up all you do. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, I Chris. did. I did so see it. Yeah. Dan Stapleton is the reviews editor of IGN. I know Dan Stapleton personally. He and I sat next to each other for years at IGN, so... He was like my cubicle buddy and I found him. He and I didn't always get along very well, but I found him to be a very hard editor and made me a better and more straightforward and curter writer. You'll notice that when he took over IGN reviews went from like thousands of words to like 600 or 700 words. I think that's a good thing, but he's interesting because he's in this position where no matter what he says, people aren't going to believe him. Mm-hmm. And it is a damned if you do damned if you do situation. And I don't know what spurned this on because I'm just not in the minutia anymore. But I will say I reached out to Dan and talked to him privately and I invited him on Sacred Symbols Plus to see if he wanted to talk. Because I was just like, let's just talk about the process. And I know what it's like. I did it hundreds of times. You know what it's like. You've done it thousands of times, Dan. So let's let's talk about it. But he wasn't interested in that, although he sends his kindest regards. I don't really blame him because I think he's just like, I'm tired of talking about this shit. But yeah, I wanted to say that I tried to spurn a conversation on about this because I'm telling you guys, there is nothing like this happening. Yeah, it's just not. Yeah, I, this <laughs> this I'm is sorry, one of the least believable things to me because, like, I don't I, I don't even know what the incentive would be to do that because you just the baseline criteria for reviews that it's just like an like you don't have to fake an opinion. I, I think the thing is like a lot of people are under the impression that like when things get like nines and tens or whatever that it's like it must be paid for because reviewers are not people who are susceptible to hype culture. Which is just not the case. Like you don't have to. No, definitely not. You don't have to pay a reviewer to to give like a really anticipated game a ten out of ten because chances are they're already thinking that anyway before they're even made they, before they're even making contact with like you know actual developers or actual like distributors of these codes. Like it's just kind of a thing that everybody's like susceptible to. I'll, I'll say that, and I've I've said this before, and I'm sure. Well, Dan wasn't even at IGN when this happened, although I think he was at PC Gamer when it happened, so he might have had. Well, was so. 
I don't even know if the game was on PC, so maybe not. But EA, I said it before, EA did that seven deadly sins game, Dante's Inferno or whatever, to do the PR, like to celebrate it with PR. They did the seven deadly sins things where they would send all the PR, all the different magazines and websites, all this stuff. And one of the things they sent was a $500 check. I remember it. They sent a $500 check to the person that was reviewing the game. And it was supposed to be like greed. And we wrote about it because you're like, this is fucking nuts. And this is the kind of stuff that people think, like, I know you guys think you're being cute, but you're not. You're actually hurting us. And so we wrote about that. And that was about as close as I've ever seen it get. And that wasn't even the intention. It was just them trying to say, like, aren't we cute? We're sending you. We sent they sent us like a, a, a lunch or something like all this crazy food and like for gluttony, yeah, yeah, gluttony and, yeah. you know, like whatever the case might be. And so I thought it, it's, it's a it's a funny idea in a boardroom, but it, it didn't work out. So that's the closest I've ever seen it come. But I'm telling you guys, it didn't happen. The one thing I will say as someone who's reviewed hundreds of games at, at IGN is I don't think I would stay stick by any of the scores I've given almost any of them with oh, yeah. rare exception. And ironically, one of the scores I would stick with is the 10 I gave to The Last of Us. But there are games where I'm like, I gave PlayStation All-Stars an eight. I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. But then I gave Wolfenstein, the first machine games, Wolfenstein, like a seven. And I'm like, I think that's a little low. Yeah. It just yeah. goes to show you how capricious it all is, really. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, p- people's perceptions of games change and their opinions of games. There, there are definitely games that I used to love when I was a kid that I, I go back to and I'm like, ah, probably shouldn't have went back and played this. <laughs> it was no. nicer. It was nicer in my head. Absolutely. That's often the way it goes, unfortunately. Yeah. Couple more notes to get through here. Actually, there's quite a few more things I wanted to touch on. Yeah. HBO's The Last of Us season one wrapped production in Canada. Neil Druckmann tweeted out about that. I have no real expectations for this. I'm I'm just interested to see what it is. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm curious about it. Like they, we did see that screenshot of the show where they were like it was like Joel and Ellie in front of the airplane or something. Like some yeah, crashed like airplane. The field. Right. And I thought it looked good, but I also thought it looked like they were standing in front of concept art. <laughs> like it, like a very weird feel to it. I don't know. Like, I think HBO typically does a really good job of making, like, really high-quality stuff. So, and they've kind of maintained that um, reputation for a very, very, very long time, which is in and of itself very impressive. So, I have no reason to think The Last of Us show will be bad. I, I think my main concern or my main curiosity is just how necessary it will be like how it will justify its existence because i'm sure it'll be high quality but we're going to be watching this show that's based on a game that's already kind of like very cinematic you know so it, it kind of feels like redundant like by nature of its very concept but maybe it'll be good and maybe it'll like we've talked about on the show maybe it'll draw a lot of people out from you know other audiences into video games although i don't know if the last of us is the most approachable video game for somebody trying to play video games for the first time so in fact it's funny you say that because i don't i don't know if you saw there was a actually kataka wrote the story about this couple did you see this this old couple that started playing video games like in their 70s during covid and they played the last of us part two and they went on craigslist to try to find someone to help them play the game and they yeah they wrote this whole it's a really great story actually people can go check it out reminds me a little bit of that but I'm open-minded. I'm excited to see what it is. And if all goes according to plan, I think we'll just do a Sacred Symbols Plus episode every week about each episode and just go deep into it and, you know, give it the the respect, at least as a PlayStation product that it deserves, because it's going to be a big deal for our audience and my mom, who's excited about it. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, let's see. Uncharted Legacy of Thieves Collection has been rated in Australia. We know this is coming. This was announced in September. This is the PS5 and PC launch of Uncharted 4 and its standalone DLC pack. Now, 
this indicates that it's maybe soon. And some people are saying maybe in January. I'll be interested to know more. But again, it's called the Uncharted Legacy of Thieves Collection. And as we know, it's a Thief's End and the Lost Legacy. So keep an eye out for that. I don't know if you saw this, but Jeff Keighley gave an interview where he said, obviously, the Game Awards coming up December 9th, Mm -hmm. 40 to 50 games appearing and double digit announcements. Anthony C. wrote into us on Patreon and says, hey, fuck sticks. The Game Awards is a mere month away and Big Daddy Jeff Keighley is teasing a big show. He said that 40 to 50 games will be present, quote unquote, in some way or another with new game announcements, quote unquote, in the double digits. That said, what could we reasonably expect to see here and what would be a dream announcement for each of you? I'm curious what you think about this. I believe that there's going to be a big PlayStation game here. I don't know what it's going to be. My feeling is that we might see factions that this is maybe where we're actually going to see yeah. something from them. And I, my, my dream announcement is something new from Naughty Dog. Naughty Dog likes the VGAs. Sony likes the VGAs. It's got a lot of prestige in the right circles. And I think that it's a given that Sony is going to have an announcement there, especially because they don't focus their own announcements at their own events. They don't really do them anymore. And people are disappointed with their states of play. And we all know that the next year's schedule is looking fairly vacant beyond the three games or so that we know are coming from first party in the form of Gran Turismo. We have God of War and then we have Horizon first, actually. So what are you thinking about this? Are you excited? December 9th? What do you want to see? What's a dream announcement? Yeah, that's that's a weird day for me because that's the day after Halo, you know? So Mm. like, like it's a very awkward time, but I don't know, man. Like that's a lot of a double double digit new announcements is kind of a big promise. And I wonder, like, I wonder if factions will be there at all because I feel like I feel like there would have been some kind of tease by now, like something maybe. Although I don't know if Naughty Dog is really that kind of studio. So what am I expecting out of this? I don't know. Like, I don't even know what could really happen. Maybe that. That's I know that Splinter Cell game that like potentially could exist is far too early in development for even remote amounts of tease to be like thrown into the VGAs. I'm not expecting a crash team racing too. You know? I would my my dream announcement would be Legacy of Kane. Like a Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver, like redo or like or something about that property. Because I really love that game and I, I really feel like it's like I feel like that's a game that really could be like modernized in a way that's really incredible but i have no reason to believe that will be shown either i'm just happy to be surprised by whatever's there i don't know if i have any specific thing you know yeah i understand that i i I believe that the surprises will be there yeah i i feel like i feel like if there is a kojima project percolating either that project that was apparently the let the so-called letter of intent that they did with microsoft who knows what's going on with that but even if there's something going on with Konami or Sony as a conduit with Kojima, I think that will also be at the show. And maybe that will all be one and the same. Maybe Sony's presence there will be this game. I feel like Kojima and Sony are working together. It doesn't preclude them from from Kojima from working with Microsoft as well. This is a man with a lot of money. Yeah. And a lot of means. And as we know, they have a studio right in uh, the Netherlands near Gorilla. So we'll see what happens. I think there's going to be something interesting there. I'm positive we will have much to discuss after the show. And let me just verify it is a Thursday, which means we can record and be ready to go on Friday up to date, which is sick. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you saw this story circulating. It seems like the PlayStation five is pretty close to getting jailbroken. Mm-hmm. This news is, is circulating now. Sony can nip this stuff in the bud with firmware updates. But as far as I understand, they're getting into root keys that once acquired it doesn't matter what they do, I don't think. 
And uh, I don't want to promote where you can find this stuff, but you can search and like it's not that not that it's illegal to read about it, but you can go check it out. Like I'm looking at a site right now or I'm looking at Kotaku's story rather on it right now. But a guy named Andy Wynn posted this picture from the PlayStation 5. So this is this is a crazy thing. He posted the debug menu or the settings menu with the debug option, which is available on test units from his PS5. So it's it's pretty much verified that that's what it is, what it is. Now, he could have edited the video or edited the picture and put it on his PlayStation, and then updated it, uploaded it. That's true. But it seems like this is something to consider because apparently this guy and the, this hacking group has already worked with Sony on behalf of, I guess, this gray hat kind of shit that they do where they take bounties from Sony and solve security problems for them. So these guys are known entities to Sony, but they made a this is what I thought was interesting. They said no plans for disclosure. So <laughs> that means that like they're not going to talk to Sony at least yet about what they found. And if I were Sony, I'd be like, oh, no. Yeah. So what do you make of all this? This is a, a lot of conversation about how Switch has been broken wide open and effectively runs everything now on an emulator. I know this is inevitable. I also know it's way over my head and I'm not going to understand it, but I'm surprised that things like PS3 and PS4 and PS5 hold up as long as they do, considering the scrutiny that they're put under. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's interesting that this happened relatively quickly because the PS5 has only been out for about a year. Granted, a year is no short amount of time. Uh, I'm sure people have been trying to hack this thing f- since the moment they got it. But it's interesting that this is just it, it feels like whenever this happens, it feels like it must be so easy. You know what I mean? Because it's just like, how can just a person just happen across this? Even if they do know what they're doing, it seems like. And there's some other like screenshots here in this like uh, Kotaku article that like go way over my head. It's like some like, did you see this one with all the uh? It's a, it's a, a thing by like fail overflows is like another one bites the dust or whatever. Yeah, and it's just a bunch of code, and I'm like, I don't yeah. even know what the hell I'm seeing. With That's this. apparently like the root key stuff that like is yeah, is at the heart, I guess, of figuring this problem out or whatever. But, and but yeah. this is an inevitability, man. Like these things don't you know like eventually at some point PS5 will be abandoned and. uh it'll just be cracked the fuck open. And, you know, they'll like like you said, they're just going to keep pushing this forward with firmware updates. And and I, I'm sure there's some way, like even with the root key, I'm sure there's some way for Sony to keep this from getting too crazy. But even if it does get crazy, I mean, like, Switch games are emulated to hell and they still make a ton of money. So, you know, it's not really that... The majority of people are never going to do this kind of thing. Right. So I don't know if it's that big of a, a deal. Yeah, I think it's like the ramifications down the line. And mm-hmm, yeah, I've been watching some interesting videos on YouTube about the history of different emulators. There's I used to use Z- ZSNES and Nesticle and all these things when I was a kid. And they it's like these things. I'd never really even thought about where they come from. And there's this one emulator that no one really knows who made it and all this stuff. So there's like a bunch of interesting things. And I think this is just kind of the continuation of that story. But for me, it's disappointing as a game dev a little bit just because I know on Vita, I'm loath to even say this on the show, but you guys are sophisticated. You know what it is. We're, we're just talking. I'm not telling you to do this. And I think you shouldn't do this. Yeah. But I've been told and I've been I've seen it because people have sent me screenshots of it of like Vita running basically a ghost version of PlayStation Store in which you can just download anything you want. Right. Like it's literally just the store, but no costs. And they showed it to me because my games are on it. And yeah. I was like, this this is fucking crazy. And so that's the ramifications. I, it, it takes a sophisticated person to do that. If you even update a, a fucking iota of your firmware, it's going to break it. 
But people are out there doing that. And so with something as mass market as PS5, I think that's the biggest fear. But at the same time, maybe we don't give enough credit to their engineers because this thing is they sell 10, 15, 20 million of these in the first year, year and a half. And they're under complete scrutiny, you know, and they still hold up. It's not like some some rarefied device that one or two people are poking at. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually kind of impressive that they're like, yeah, we can build something that generally stands up, you know? Yeah. And As opposed to the Dreamcast or something, which was like, you could literally just put anything you want in the Dreamcast. Right? Yeah, that, <laughs> that was so ridiculous. I, I, I remember putting a VHS in my Dreamcast once and it worked perfectly fine. <laughs> Dude, you could literally stupid. copy. For people that don't know, like you used to have to trick your PS1 or PS2 or whatever into taking copied discs. But Dreamcast, you literally could just put like CDRs in it. Yeah. It was unbelievable. That was the end of that thing when people figured that because Dreamcast was coming out right when CDR and CDRW stuff was getting to people's houses yeah i remember the first person i knew this guy kevin had one i was like this is incredible like i was like this is absolutely nuts and we were impressive just for music like we just wanted to make cds and we yeah. couldn't believe that you could do that so angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well i absolutely love this because you know if you own a home it can be really hard to maintain it's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. All right. I was curious what you know think about this next one. Activision, apparently, I, I've been reading this through, uh, I don't even know how to say this website, but I, I come across it every once in a while, Dexerto.com? Yeah, Dexerto or something, whatever. That, I, yeah. always, I always pronounce it in my head differently. And I, I, I say, I, I I say Dextero in my head, but that's not it because it's, it's D-E-X-E-R-T-O, but whatever. Deserto. <laughs> Deserto. They're mostly in like the, the League of Legends and kind of like MOBA online space, but... They wrote an interesting story because Call of Duty is an online game that they cover. Mm-hmm. Apparently, in Call of Duty Vanguard recently released, we're going to have, a, like I said, a spoiler cast on that soon. The Quran apparently is in the zombies mode and strewn across the ground of one of the maps. And apparently Activision has apologized and said in a statement, quote, Call of Duty is made for everyone. There was insensitive content to the Muslim community mistakenly included last week and has since been removed from the game. It should never have appeared as it did in game. We deeply apologize. We are taking immediate steps internally to address the situation to prevent such occurrence in the future. End quote. What a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. 
here, here's the thing. No offense. I don't care what God you worship. It's irrelevant to me, both in a good way and in a bad way, I guess, for you. It's irrelevant to me in that I think you should be able to worship whoever you want, do whatever you want. Yeah. But it doesn't matter to me because if you're offended by something else, I also don't care. And I really <laughs> feel like I'm a, I'm, I can, I used to call myself an atheist. I grew up Catholic. I'm really more, I consider myself more of like an agnostic, maybe a deist now, but I have Catholic roots and, and Christian roots. And it's, it just seems like there are groups of people within these various religions that just think they take things way too seriously. Yeah. And who cares if there are pages of the Quran on the ground of a zombies map? I mean, does that really matter? Does Muhammad really care about that? What does that say about these mighty gods? If this something like this is disrespectful. And by the way, if even if it is disrespectful, maybe that's part of the intent. Maybe you're in some sort of mosque or something. I don't know. We see horrible things done with crosses and Christianity all the time. I just watched Midnight Mass on Netflix, which was pretty good. And that's totally a bastardization of Catholicism and and Catholic rites and stuff like that. And I thought it was awesome. Yeah. You know, so so what do you think about this? I This really frustrates me. And I do feel like there, especially with. I don't know if it's just because we, we give it attention because in our society, m- like being Muslim Islamic is still somewhat foreign to us. Right. It's only 2% of our population, I think. Mm-hmm. So maybe like it just gets heightened to, to appeal to people's fears. But I also feel like there's something in, in Islam, in some Islamic tradition and societies where they take this shit too far. And we saw that with like the artists and and um in the in England or I'm sorry in Europe getting you know attacked and mm-hmm. Charlie, uh, Charlie Hedbo and all that kind of crazy shit so I think it needs to be stopped and I, I'm disappointed that Activision didn't just say hey like too bad <laughs> you know yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what <laughs> yeah I, I don't I, I don't know I, I don't view religion as a sacred thing ironically speaking you know like it's it's yeah, a very ironic statement but like I don't know like I, I don't see why because to me, I feel like it's one of these things where it's almost like an optical illusion where like I feel like you could look at this from every single perspective and find a reason why it's justifiable from that perspective. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you could like, hey, we're going to put uh, pages from the Quran on the ground of this multiplayer map because uh, we want to, you know, disrespect the Quran. And I feel like you could also be like, hey, you know, like, uh, wouldn't it be cool? Like, like a, a weird kind of like interesting bit of representation if we had the quran kind of like on this map like actually like for real like like you could view it from like a multitude of different angles and it's all just completely nebulous and meaningless and dumb like it's just all (laughs) pointless like why why remove that or apologize for something when it's just so intentless it's just very well it's just set dressing to a map and maybe that's like offensive to have like religious iconography as a set dressing and maybe i would buy that if it wasn't so common in every other belt like i feel like castlevania like what do you say about castlevania dude i know where do you even begin where do you even begin with (laughs) castlevania and like it's i don't know i i find this to be really like a pathetic thing to complain about i i don't believe at all that even a, a remotely sizable portion of people are upset about this. I agree. I, I, I cannot fathom how even more than like 12 people would be upset about this. Like, I, I really can't. Like, and I'm sure like I, I know like Islam is a little different. But it's, a, it's a little bit more, you know, intense. Like I, I have some uh, Muslim friends who like know like they're a lot more, you know, their families are a lot more like serious about their religion. 
than some of my Catholic friends who like barely believe in it, you know, but at the same time, like this can't be on your priority list. Like if, if you really believe in your religion, then why care what other people have to say about it? Just let people yeah, have fun. I, that's exactly right. I, I don't know either what I'm sure there's some, some directive or whatever, but I think, I think some of it has to do with Islam being like younger and hasn't really gone through like it's reformation and like all of right, it's, right. And like kind of shaking a lot of the shit out, which I get, but I just feel like I don't, I don't care in both the good way and the bad way. If that makes I, sense. Yeah, I, 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 I'm you know? with you. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care. And, and, uh, it just, cause it's, it's kind of comical. It's a zombies map for call of duty. Or is there something about the Quran that's going to keep it on the table in perfect, pristine condition during the zombie apocalypse? Should we all just run to Mecca and, yeah, yeah. and just stay there? That seems like that city will be just totally fine since it would be totally unacceptable for anything like that to be, to happen. But I totally agree with you. Very similar to the zealots in other religions, though, other groups. And I think some religions like wokeism, even like some new age religions, I think mm. it takes I think it's always a minority. And I think it always takes people to stand up and be like, mm, I don't think so. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's require it's, people from within to do that. Yeah. It's never the majority of people. It's always like right. a, a handful of like voices who are just like, this bothers me for some reason. And then like people just kind of, you know, bend to it for no reason because they think it's like emblematic of some larger some larger thing but i i I promise you it's not (laughs) i'm curious what you think about this this, this, i don't know it's it was n7 day which is the holiday for november 7th for mass effect i don't care but they they tweeted (laughs) out this picture of this just it just says mass effect will continue of, of some sort of normandy replacement ship on some sort of planet and we actually have a letter here from moms like me who says n7 day was this week we got a new teaser and poster for the new mass effect game Gentlemen, I ask you, what does Bioware need to do to get you excited about Mass Effect again? Should Commander Shepard make a grandiose return to kill more flying robot bugs and animate improper, inappropriately with more aliens? Dude, I don't care. Yeah. I'm sick of this. Why do you think I need to see this? <laughs> Mass Effect doesn't... No offense. Mass Effect's a wonderful trilogy of games. I'm a huge fan of Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. It, it's over. And if they if they reboot it, that's fine. But we don't need a holiday in which you feel like you need to say something new about Mass Effect in which we haven't gotten a game anyone has liked in almost a decade. Nine years it's been since Mass Effect 3. What can they do? In my opinion, go make the game. And when it's ready, you show it. And until then, showing me this bland ass. I mean, this could have been a piece of NASA art. You know, like how NASA is like always drawing this crazy shit for all their ideas. Like yeah, a ship yeah. flying in one asteroid. I mean, this is what it looks like. No offense. This is the, I saw this picture and I was like, this is the most blandest, most boring nothing that represents what Mass Effect was. And I was annoyed by it. That's yeah. why I wanted to talk about it. I was like, what can you do? Why are you showing us this, this poster? What is this? They have such a bad habit of just showing it's almost like, hey, man, we're working on this thing and we're really excited about it. Uh, Look at this grass. And then that's all the information that you get. And then like next year, it's like, well, we showed you grass last time. Check out this mist. And then you and then like a year later, you start getting like actual content. And it's like, just wait for the actual content to be ready. Like, I'm not like cynical about like the the whole like 
and seven day i think it's cute you know like a lot of a lot of like storied games have like like there's bungee day on on july 7th because it's like seven seven it's like it's cute you know but like you don't have to like do things every single year for it you don't got to be like hey just to remind you we're still working on it what's that what's that game that just recently did that prince of persia oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're like hey just so you know we're still here like we know mass effect is still there we know you're going to do something with it it's a hugely popular series even this long after the last liked one we know you're going to continue it show it to us when it's ready or like when it's not even when it's ready but when there's something to show you know because this isn't anything like i i saw the picture and i kind of had the same thought that you did where like this doesn't look particularly mass effect outside of the ship you know it just looks like an overhead view it looks like a topographical map of some place i've seen you know with like a, a a ship photoshopped into it, Mass Effect will continue. That's the name of the game. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I don't know, man. So I'm. Yeah, do I want to play more Mass Effect? I guess. I, I, not really. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm I'm over it. It's it was it was great at its time. Bioware is not the same anymore, and yeah, yeah. it's time to move on. That's okay. I'm I'm playing through the. Uh... Because I've been playing like a lot of stuff. I, I haven't even listed everything that I'm playing, but I'm playing through like the first uh, game on the definitive edition because I, I just remembered that I had it and I stopped. And it is really good. You know, it's really enjoyable. I like these characters. I like this world. But like you too. Just show me something when you got it and then maybe I'll decide if I'm excited over it. You know, that's all there is to it. Yeah, I agree. I wanted to bring to attention. Just I thought this was funny over on <laughs> Square. They report train sim. Train Sim World 2, a game with over 350 trophies, will not get any more. So there's this game called Train Sim World 2. And I guess uh, Train Sim World was like a, a big thing on PC. And then it, there was like another one, Train Sim World 2020 or something. But they they tied it all together in Train Sim World 2, which is from this British studio, Dovetail. And it's apparently a very popular game with a small subset of people, small subset of people that buy fairly expensive DLC. The DLC packs that they're releasing are 10 20 $30 each. And they put massive amounts of trophies in because they know it's really important. But they announced on their forum that they've run into an interesting back end problem with PS5 specifically. So not even PS4. They say in part, quote, we're aware that trophies represent an important part of gaming on PlayStation for a lot of people. And the decision not to include trophies has not been made lightly. There is a limit on PlayStation 5 for both the number of DLC memory and number of trophies that can be earned in a single game. And we are very close to that limit, end quote. Now, as has been noted by other people, the workaround for this on PS4 was to make entirely new lists. So if you look at your trophies, it'll say like Uncharted, whatever. And that, that's not even a good example. It'll say God of War. And then underneath, it'll have all these nests of yeah. trophy lists. And, to get, and eventually that list fills up. And then so what m games like Minecraft and a few others have done is to make an entirely new list and populate that. But apparently that's not possible on PS5. And so this company is going to continue to release its DLC, including one that's coming up that's $30 and it will have no trophies. And uh, they're trying to get around that. But I thought that that was an interesting little problem. Yeah. With the PSN. Also, a problem that I wanted to bring up was that we noted that the Persistence, which was the PSVR game from uh, a recently acquired studio from Sony Fire Sprite, is free on PlayStation Plus right now. And it's being positioned as a PSVR game, but many people have been reminding everyone that this game actually has a patch that makes it playable without PSVR and Sony has not done a good job of making that known. So there are mm -hmm. technically there's technically one more game for non PSVR users, and you might want to go check that out if you're on PS Plus. Bandai Namco noted that they're jump uh, they're going to shut down Jump Force in 10 months. And uh, Jose Mendoza wrote in and said, hey, man, let's get straight to it. 
with Jump Force being removed from all digital stores soon, is this just another example of why we should buy physical games? Has this changed your thought process on digital games being the future? So Jump Force was at one time fairly popular. I thought it was popular enough to keep open, but I guess not. It's this yeah. Bandai Namco published fighting game and this crossover fighting game. And they've announced as of now that on February 7th, the currency in-game currency will no longer be purchasable. And then beginning uh, in August, August 24th, the game will not function online anymore. So they're giving you plenty of notice. And this is for PS4 and all the other versions. People, for some reason, were really incensed by this. I feel like this is exactly the way it should be done. I think the only surprise is that it's being shut down fairly quickly. And I think yeah. that just says that it's because no one's playing it. So it is what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of understand the 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 reaction to it. Like, it, it is weird to see, like, hey, you know, this game, uh, we're just taking it down. You know, just uh, it, it kind of comes across as like a fuck you, even if it's not. You know, like they they're granted they they 10 months is plenty of time. You know, if you want to go and get your physical copy, you have time to do that. I think they handle it the right way. It's just an interesting kind of thing that this doesn't happen really all that often. Like, I can't remember the last time like a game was just put like outside of like obvious, like big clusterfucks like like cyberpunk where they were just like pulled off the PlayStation store. I can't recall the last time, at least off the top of my head, when a game was just sort of like sunsetted like this this quickly like because i feel like this isn't a particularly old game it's like what like three years old or something jump force because i yeah, played it look. i remember my roommates played it i'm gonna look real quick jump force wiki i think it's 20 yeah 19 yeah so that's a pretty fucking quick shelf life for <laughs> early 2019 yeah it, it is right, it yeah. is it is yeah i i think that that is disappointing but i don't know i i guess it does bring up an interesting question we're going to talk about this a little later with another game but it does bring up the question of just what your expectations are getting in. And I think what a publisher, like what a publisher's need to fulfill some sort of minority need to support a game forever, like when that's cut off and maybe Bandai is saying that's it. It's it, what would be cool is if they just showed in some way illustrated it, like, listen, no one is playing the game online and yeah. we're giving you a chance. And I think at least it's very, it's better to give them 10 months than, Oh yeah, it's 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 better than like days. it's better than GTA just sort of falling off the store without any notice, you know, like right. it's it's infinitely better and it's a far better way to do that. And I presume that it'll work like anything else like where if you've bought the game before you could probably like I I would imagine like if you bought it digitally you'd still be able to access it in some way. It just won't be purchasable. Like I can't say that for certain obviously because that's not what they've said, but that's usually how things work. So I'd be shocked to see that that's not the case. Because it is the case with a, uh, a game that's been taken down that we'll get to later on in the uh, in the episode, but I don't know. It's a very weird, very weird situation. My friends played this game and I hated it. <laughs> it was such a disgusting game to look at. It Have you seen? I agree. It looked weird. Yeah, I've seen it. I do, I agree. I don't, I don't like the style. Yeah, it's like it's like there's hyper realistic textures. It's like all this like really like specific. Like, ooh, look at this close up high high definition 4K skin texture on animated Goku, and it's like. Oh, it's like it's really unsettling. It's like a nightmare. But yeah, that won't that won't do. No, that won't do for me. A couple more things here. Elden Ring. It's alphas going on. It's like closed test. People are selling their keys to for it. And they're going for as much as three hundred and fifty dollars. I saw that, although Dustin's not here to talk about it, unfortunately. Yeah, he didn't get chosen. 
to participate and i know he was disenchanted by that the game comes out of course ps4 and ps5 february 25th next year what do you think of this or, or did you were you interested in getting into this at all do you what have you heard about this i've, I've heard pretty good things that people are really enjoying it yeah i've heard very very good things i i, I don't really care to get into it I'm, I'm more than happy to wait to play it when it comes out i'm not like that eager to play it i think it's going to be I, I think it looks awesome i think it looks really cool i love the art design like we talked about it a little bit on the last episode i think it looks fantastic indeed but the only thing I've seen, really, uh, I have some friends who are like who are in the test, and I've been talking to them, and and they don't seem to have a clear. I, I don't have a clear understanding of how how the multiplayer aspect of it works, like the co op aspect of it. It seems like a little nebulous and weird, although that might just be you know a failure of communication on their part. Like I don't know, but people are liking it, and it's shaping up to be pretty cool. So. I'm more than more than excited to see it. I know something you're not excited about is this <laughs> final thing I want to discuss before we get into what we're playing. Frank Ibar wrote into us and say, hey, CDC, YouTube is removing dislike numbers. Thoughts? So YouTube announced that they are hiding dislikes on videos, not to everyone, but just to the viewer, which is really who it matters to the most. People that put up the video will still be able to see the like to dislike ratio and all of that. Mm hmm. People are really up in arms. Some out there might be listening and being like, why is this on? Why are you talking about this here? I think it's essential for us to talk about this. I find that, and I think you kind of have expressed a similar notion, and I want to really throw it to you because you're in this space so much more, but yeah, I feel like thumbs up, thumbs down is like the only currency that that you really have on YouTube as a viewer. Right. And it's a way to communicate your... It's, I know that it's abused. I know. But... It's usually not abused. In fact, it's usually vital. And I saw people bringing up things like when you go and look for how to use a how to use a chainsaw. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. And you're looking for the one that has all the thumbs up in the views. And if you see one with like 50 50 or a lot of thumbs down, you're like, OK, am I going to cut my arm off if I use the chainsaw due to this video's instructions? I feel like that's really important. And in our space, if we don't like something that a publisher or a developer is doing in a trailer or monetization or whatever that's our only way to communicate because they're able to shut off comments they can delete comments they can't get rid of your thumbs up and thumbs down and i feel like this is clearly done to protect moneyed and corporate interests everyone knows that and, yeah. I, and i wish that they would just admit it i wonder what you think of it and i wonder if you think that they might reverse course because it feels like no one wants this and i was really disenchanted to hear it because i think it is important including for us like I, when i see a thumbs up to thumbs down ratio publicly I'm like, okay, I'll let me go read the comments and see why people are upset. Usually it's because you're all annoying, but sometimes <laughs> it's because you know something's wrong or something that we need to, we need to tend to. So yeah, I find it instructive as well. Talk to me about it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think it's like a really vital part of the, and like as an editor, personally, as somebody who like peruses YouTube for a lot of like assets and like, like sometimes, you know, I'll look for like green screen stuff or I'll look like, or I'll look for like a specific sound effect that I'm looking for. And, and YouTube is a garbage dump, dude. Like the like the percentage of content on YouTube that is actually like worth watching is probably like in like the single digits in compare in comparison to the amount of content that's actually uploaded to the site. A massive amount of content is uploaded to the site every second of every day. Like it's an insane amount of content. So when I'm looking for like a specific sound effect and I and I see like a a myriad, like just an insane like 2000 results. I'm like, "All right, fuck. Okay." The best way 
for me to look for that thing or to find the, the right one is I click and I look at the dislikes because the dislikes will tell me everything. If it's like a massive dislike, it's like, this is not the right one. And I don't have to scroll down and like open the comments tab. That's another thing, too, that I, I think is being kind of lost in this conversation. The comments are like kind of being looked at as like, oh, we'll just read the comments if you want to know, like if a video is bad. It's like sometimes those are disabled. And even when they're not disabled, a lot of the times, especially on the mobile app and like just apps in general, they're hidden entirely. So like. I, I like it's literally the only way to determine the quality of something. I know that a lot of people upload like fake movie trailers and like, how are you supposed to know what's what's legitimate on that front? And I know that many of us are eagle eyed, but many people aren't tutorials for like maybe like sometimes maybe like sometimes i'll be editing and like premiere will change something and i'm like why did they oh, update the worst. this I hate it's, it. the, it's the most irritating thing it's like the, it yeah. worked perfectly fine before and now i have to find out how the hell this works and i go on youtube and sure enough there's like a bunch of videos about the thing that's changed and some of them are terrible it's like this like text box that like shows up in front of the in front of the app and it's like just somebody r typing out like really slowly like this is what you're supposed to do if the text title won't appear and it's like oh my fucking god the <sighs> likes and dislikes are so useful and yeah they get sometimes dislike brigades happen yeah sometimes call of duty will get an insane amount of dislikes yeah the youtube rewind isn't the most popular thing in the world and people don't like it but i i really do think it's usefulness far 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 outweighs the ways that it's abused and like anybody who's been on the receiving end of dislike brigades which by the way i have been like i've had videos disliked into oblivion before big fucking deal like who cares right especially because like i saw people t talking about how like oh well it's just to protect the feelings of the person uploading no it's not because they can see the, the they they're the only people who can see exactly it. right that's where it all falls apart is that it's it's, it's very transparent I, I agree from that regard it's so where... stupid yeah, I totally agree. It's it's a mess. And I wonder if they'll reverse course. I, I just feel like this is not if if they don't reverse course on this, then they just don't care what anyone yeah. says. Because well, they, they they've expressly uh, they've uh, confidently expressed that they don't really care. Like countless times, like nobody wanted that stupid bell, you know, but they did it anyway. It's true. Ugh. Click the bell. Click so, follow me. But then that doesn't mean anything. So <laughs> yeah, follow so me. So now you click gotta the bell. click this other thing. <laughs> follow me. Click the bell. Send a ten-page uh, essay on why you'd like to see updates from my channel, and then unring the bell in that order. <laughs> I'm I am absolutely desperate for there to be a YouTube competitor that is truly viable. Like I'm rooting for this Rumble, which is a Canadian company. I'm rooting for these other companies. I don't know who it's going to be, but just someone that makes it comfortable enough for us to be able to be able to support a community and make a living because it just seems like everyone well not everyone but a lot of people that use youtube just hate it but we're kind of stuck and and i acknowledge that mm -hmm. we're not going to move off of youtube why would we do that we yeah. it, our our job as a modern company is to go to you but i'm telling you as a creator who has also been thumbed down it's it, it's just the name of the game that's just right. the way it goes maybe listen to it in some <laughs> way like that I know that the brigading happens and it's ridiculous, but sometimes the brigading happens and it's a sign. Yeah. And I would want to listen to that if I were the to topic of the brigade. If yeah. I were, for instance, putting out an Anthony Fauci Amazon Prime documentary that's getting downvoted into oblivion, you're going to imagine that's political. Right. But if you see something else that's downvoted into oblivion, you might just think it's bad. Right. And also, <laughs> yeah. can I say, I can say this. 
individual creators can choose to disable likes right. entirely. Right. Exactly. So this is just like a preference of certain people that is being foisted upon everybody else. And I, I just, I really hate it. Yeah, I do too. That's a great point too. I know people were bringing that up because then YouTube's response was, well, there's like a stigma to that though. And I'm like, come on guys. Like, so what? There is a stigma to it. You're right. Because you, people look at YouTube as a small L libertarian wonderland where you're allowed to put up what you want, say what you want, like and dislike what you want, et cetera, et cetera. That's the way it's kind of supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Google. Well, the, the second Google got rid of their do no evil mantra, which they <laughs> did, uh, that, was, uh, that was a sign of things to come. I think. That was so fucking funny. That was sinister as hell. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, okay, man. cool. Very good. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. All right. Let's get into what we're playing. Chris, you had mentioned that you're playing a copious amount of games, so I'll leave it to you to talk about them in any order you'd like. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy because I, I finished that over the last week uh completed it i'm not gonna go for like a platinum in it or anything i'm just it didn't grab me in that way it's not a spider-man type deal but really really solid game uh really enjoyable amazing soundtrack that i think like a lot of people were asking me like why didn't i stream it it's because like you have to disable copyrighted music to stream you know and that would have like that would have bothered the hell out of me because i feel like guardians of the galaxy is like really defined by like it's uh, it's soundtrack and it's use of licensed music. It makes me wonder like how long the licenses for those mm. songs are. Like, it's an interesting kind of thing that we have to deal with now in in a primarily digital marketplace. But I really enjoyed my time with it. I I did not get nearly as annoyed as I thought I would get because that you know witty banter between like all these different like really exaggerated characters could easily get really annoying really quickly. But it it never really does. I would highly recommend it, but I would put a little asterisk next to that just with the note that I did experience some bugs that had to make me like restart the game. I didn't lose a lot of progress, but there were a couple chances. There were a couple points in time where like I was just stuck in an endless loop and I was like, ah, it's not the most polished thing. So I would maybe wait for like a sale or maybe like a couple patches. But I do think it's like a really solid single player game, even for people who are not into the Marvel kind of side of things. I think it's a really solid entry of of just a... It feels more like a single-player game than it does a Marvel game, which is a great sign, you know? Nice. I've, and it I've plays, heard nothing but great things about it. Yeah, and it's it plays kind of interestingly, too. I don't think gameplay is necessarily the star. I think it's mostly, like, the character work, which is also, like, really, 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 really good. But it's it's a weird mix of, like, Final Fantasy VII Remake, a little bit of Uncharted, a little bit of... A little bit of Arkham in there. Hmm. It's it's 
kind of cool. It's kind of a cool like hodgepodge of different styles, and I think it works really well. I've also been playing a little bit of Call of Duty Vanguard. It's Call of Duty. You know, it's... <laughs> I don't know how surprising that would be to people, but it's 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 I have fun with it sometimes. And then sometimes I wonder, like, whether or not the game is even remotely designed because yeah, it, it really yeah, interesting. Yeah, because like, I don't know if you saw, like, I, I tweeted like a, a quick uh, vi- uh, like a, a little gameplay snippet last night when I was playing and I just die and I spawn and I spawn like in gunfire, basically. And it's just like I. It, that's uh that's not even like a rare occurrence you know like it's a frequent occurrence and it's frustrating because it feels so like incoherent as a game but then other times it does feel good to like actually like do well so like i understand like the the little like the little dopamine thing that call of duty has going for it sure. it's it's got decent maps i haven't touched the campaign yet because i feel like i'm just doing a lot of single player stuff and i want to free up that area a little bit uh but nothing much to say other than it's more call of duty it's a bit of a mess, but I don't imagine that would deter anybody from picking it up who hasn't already been like a, a fan of the series for a while. Been f- and these other two are on other platforms, but I think they're That's worth fun. talking about yeah. because I think Resident Evil 4 VR will come to PlayStation eventually, especially with PSVR 2. Resident Evil 4 VR is awesome. Like I know we talked about it a little bit earlier in like some other episode about how it's like a little bit awkward that they changed like certain dialogue things and like they kind of neutered certain parts of uh, Leon's character and like other characters like narratively I don't think it's the best way to experience Resident Evil 4 for the first time but this game is awesome it is one of the best VR games I have ever played like for sure bar none like up there with you know Boneworks Half-Life Alex, Beat Saber it's it's definitely like of that quality and maybe that's part of the nostalgia of Resident Evil 4 just being infused with like the cool tactile nature of just like just reloading guns as you actually would just feels really cool, like in VR. It's like a really interesting sensation that I don't know I can describe to anybody without just having them actually experience it. And Resident Evil 4 does a great job. There's like a firing range that you can just sort of go into in the pause menu. And oh, it's nice. just it's so much fun just to do that. Like, I almost don't even need to play the game because like just just shooting the weapons and like aiming feels badass. And I don't know. I know that a lot of people were holding off on... um buying like an oculus because of the facebook thing they they just removed that but even so even if you want to wait a while i'm pretty confident this is going to come to playstation it would make no sense for it not to and sony would be dumb not to like ask for this because it's a really solid vr game yeah it's unclear what the situation is as far as the timed exclusivity and the money but i would assume that that would be a no-brainer too and by the way it doesn't surprise me that it's good because as i've said many times the best version of resident evil 4 in my opinion is the wii version (laughs) <laughs> and because yeah. you point and it's like more immersive that way and so yeah you just now you just put on a headset and play the wii version that sounds great i mean that sounds awesome i love resident evil 4 yeah and it's it's just uh it's just the wii version on like on steroids you know like it's like really like tactile and like the, the shotgun you actually have to like pull back and it, it, it feels awesome like i don't know how to describe it other than it just feels really good to play cool and the last thing i've been messing around with forza horizon 5 because I'm kind of in this mode where it's like, all right, we're going to have to talk about Gran Turismo at some point. And these aren't necessarily my kinds of games, but I know they're good. I know people love them. I should dip my toes into this. And I've, I've kind of like dabbled around with Forza before and I've dabbled with Gran Turismo and stuff like that, but never really, like really fully. I remember the first time I tried with like Project Gotham Racing in like 2005 or 2006. And I was like, this sucks. I hate, I hate this. But Forza Horizon 5 
obviously over on the Xbox side, really, really good. Like a really um like incredibly like good looking and and well playing sim. But while I was playing it, I couldn't help but feel, and this is interesting that this came to my mind. This would be really awesome with DualSense. This would be like extra good with DualSense. It's already like a really good game, but like that I feel like would really benefit the game greatly. And with Gran Turismo coming soon, granted Gran Turismo is going to be a, a very different type of game. This is more of an arcadey racer, a little bit less of a sim. But I think I have a better understanding of what these games need to be good, having played about like six hours of Forza. And so I feel like I can approach something like Gran Turismo now without being like, re- without feeling like really out of the loop, you know? Sure, like, sure. And yeah, it's it's really good. It's a this, solid, solid game. This game, a few people wrote in about it. I didn't, I didn't pull your questions because I didn't see you edit this until later. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. Oh, it's it's all good. I wanted to let those people know I acknowledge you writing in because I I was. I'm interested in this for a few different reasons in, in Forza. First of all, it seems like it maybe sold pretty well because they had some sort of like pre-order early access thing that millions of people had access. I know it's at a cut rate, but you still have to have a subscription to do it. So mm-hmm. they probably made a nice bank on that. And the other thing that I thought was interesting about this was and, and this was lost on me for a little while. I just wasn't thinking about it. And then I realized it a few days ago is that this is a for, this is the Forza spinoff series. Like if this is doing this well from playground then imagine when turn 10 gets to release its next mainline forza game i i feel like that is going to be a a really important game for them and it's great to see game pass get this is the promise of game pass i mean this is what we're saying is the the third party stuff's not even supposed to be that tantalizing because it's supposed to be complementary to the first party stuff and finally you're getting the quality first party stuff you can't you can't deny that value you just can't deny it now yeah halo is right around the corner and you're not going to be able to deny the value again. So it's going to be really interesting to see how these games do, how they sell and what Microsoft has to say about them. But yeah, it, it, a lot of people are talking about Forza Horizon as a game of the year. Wow. And we'll see how it all pans out. Yeah. Adam Romano wrote in, said, look fat. So I rarely write in, but I can no longer ignore, ignore all of your flagrant and repeated mispronunciations of Kena of Bridge of Spirits fame. <laughs> Normally, mispronunciations don't bother me, Colin. I bit my tongue all through your Attack of the Clones knockback episode when you re- repeatedly called down co- Count Doku, Count Doku, and Dagan called Padme, Padme. <laughs> but this business with Kana it will not stand. I know it's a vague spelling, and therefore, uh, before any of us played the game, none of us knew how to pronounce it. On occasion, you all speculated on how it was pronounced, and I was right there with you, but now that you have played the game, how the hell are you still using every single pronunciation except for the right one? She refers to herself, blah, blah, blah. And he says, you know, all in good fun. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, Adam. A few people wrote in about this. I just misread my notes. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you guys are pretty mean. Because I was trying to write it in the, uh, you know, like, I don't know what, what I, can't, I can't remember what it's called. You know, when you like the phonetic, I guess it's phonetics mm-hmm. when it's like K with an E, but it's upside down. It's oh, got yeah, like a yeah. Line. I, I've tried to read those because they're useful. If you know how to read that stuff really well, it's super useful to know how th- that actually works. And the reality is, is I just wrote it down wrong. So I, I was reading it as I think I was reading, reading it as Kena uh, is like Kena or something like that. Yeah, but it's Kena. You're right. And they do say it. And you're right. And I, I read that letter at him because I finally beat it. I'm going to sit down with Eric Kane next week to do a spoiler cast. We had actually already wanted to get it done, but he had a family emergency and he had to cancel or reschedule. It's a really fun game. It's beautiful. It's fun to play. It's hard. I think it's an appropriate length that let's say 10 or 12 hours. and 
I have a lot to say about it, but I want to save a lot of it for that review discussion because a lot of it is is more spoilerish. But it's a game I recommend. I really feel like this is a game, especially that I, I feel like maybe older children, 8, 10, 12 year olds will enjoy and parents will also enjoy and perhaps enjoy it together. And it's a game about death and the afterlife and stuff, but it's nothing grim or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I highly recommend it. Kena, Bridge of Spirits. Also, um, jump back into Doki Doki Literature Club. I restarted it because I don't didn't really remember what was going on. So I've just been working my way back up through that and uh, getting into that. And then one game I started a few days ago that I'm really excited to talk about is Far Cry 6. And I have to say, this game is awesome. Like, mm. I really love it. I think it's <laughs> I think it's it's Far Cry. No yeah. Doubt. But it's a little more than that. I feel like if you've played every Far Cry like I have and I think you have and others have, then you realize Far Cry has evolved in different ways, but not so much. I feel like in terms of gameplay, like in the way the character feels, this game almost feels like Dying Light. And I think it clearly takes an influence from Dying Light with some of its parkour and platforming. It's not nearly as predicated on it like Dying Light is, but that's something I've noticed. And I also think that the the synthesis of themes has been really quite awesome. It's ostensibly Cuba, but it's not. It's Cuba that kind of has a a cult of personality, much less like Castro, much more like maybe the Kims in North Korea. They are corporate fascists, which is exact the exact opposite of what of what they are in Cuba. You know, the, the kind of nationalist communists. So they I think what Ubisoft has done here thematically is borrowed from a wisely, by the way, is borrowed from a lot of different elements to say. So so it stops everyone from being like, oh, pagan men is just a racist Chinese stereotype or right. Where right. are the Trump supporters in Far Cry five? It's like if you look at this and you think it's Cuba, then you really don't understand anything more than the aesthetic. And I think that's what makes this game so compelling. It's very good. And. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised uh, it's selling well. I know we'll talk about that. So yeah, is Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy, by the way. That's awesome. But, uh, and we'll talk about those sales later. But I have to say Far Cry 6. So far, quite enjoyable. A couple other things. You can choose your main character, a woman or a man, which is mm-hmm. cool. And I chose the man. And I think that there's a lot more emotion, a lot better animation. There's a lot more storytelling. There are a lot more little things. The Amigo system is really funny. You have a, an, I have an Amigo friend named Guapo, who is my crocodile companion. <laughs> Guapo, I think, means handsome. And so it's, it's, the gunplay is great. Systems are deep. Far Cry 6, man, I'm, I'm digging it. I can see this being one of my favorite games of the year, no doubt. That's awesome. How far into it are you? Like how many hours? Three or four hours. I actually, it's funny you say, I don't know what happened here, but I have two PS5s, one in my room. And then one in the living room and I send my saves back and forth and I sent my save from upstairs to downstairs and then started playing and it like just had me go back like an hour. And I was like, did I overwrite the save accident? I didn't know quite what was going on there. I'm sure it was my fault, but that's the only thing that I've really been frustrated with. But again, that was my own undoing. But Far Cry 6 so far so good. So we'll have more to say about that. We're actually going to do I'm looking through the list. So spoiler cast slash review discussions will happen for Kana Far Cry. We're going to do Doki Doki, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Vanguard, because uh, Mike is playing it right now, too. Now, Mike is playing the campaign so far. She likes to play online, but she's getting the campaign out first, out of the way first, and she's not crazy about it. 
Oh yeah. Uh, no, so, I, I, I've yeah. heard very mixed things about it because like some people tell me it's like ah it's really good and then like I've heard other people be like ah you know it's a, it's standard modern Call of Duty campaign I'm like ah oh, this is confusing I feel like it's going to be a largely mixed game like even on if you look at like the general kind of aggregate scores it's like a very mixed it's like yellow you know so yeah, it's right, like right, right. people are kind of like ah eh, it's fun but like what the fuck <laughs> it, seems, it seems like that's like the general kind of consensus alright let's get into the news proper now Chris as we always do Quite a few items to get through here of import. Yeah. This first one actually just happened before we started recording. And so it is the biggest news of the week. And it's unfortunate news. Number one, there is bad news emanating out of Japan, according to a story from Bloomberg Japan, which notes that Sony is going to be unable to meet its PlayStation 5 production forecast. What this means in short is that PlayStation 5, which is already severely supply constrained, will remain so for perhaps a longer period of time and with deeper constraints in place. Here's what Bloomberg says in part, quote, Sony had previously targeted more than 16 million units assembled in the year ending March, setting it up to achieve its sales goal for the period and also get a head start on the subsequent year's production. The company has now cut that number down for, to about 15 million, making its aim of 14.8 million PS5 sales by March difficult, end quote. And here's the bad news for Sony. Though PS5 was at one time outpacing the global sales pace of PlayStation 4 from 2013 into the 2014, PS5 has now fallen behind. Indeed, in their respective first quarters on the market, they both sold identical amounts, 4.5 million each. The following quarter, PS5 actually began outpacing PS4 by a couple hundred thousand. But since the company has fallen behind and PS5 sales are now half a million units back. And it's not just one or two things affecting production. Quote, components in short supply include unremarkable but essential gear like power management chips, end quote. The piece also notes that, quote, assembly partners are in daily contact with component makers to confirm that shipments will arrive as scheduled, which is not always the case, end quote. And while the piece notes that, the Ninten that Nintendo is also experiencing massive issues and that Valve delayed its Steam Deck handheld specifically due to production issues, PS5 scarcity is having a really unfortunate effect on Sony's potential customers. Quote, one of one top Japanese games publisher has found players who used to buy PlayStation versions of its games are now gradually shifting to purchasing the PC edition. End quote. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's Capcom, by the way, because we just talked a couple of weeks ago about how they were saying that they're going to shift all their resources in the, in the PC as their first and platform primarily. This is bad news for Sony, and it's unfortunate that so much of it is out of their hands, and I think they've done a really admirable job of producing consoles, but this finally, Chris, gets into the opportunity cost of missing your window. If they're never going to fulfill the market demand, then eventually that demand, is, that demand is not stagnant, that demand will move on to something else, and that demand is going to move on to PC, it's going to move on to Xbox, it's going to move on to whatever it can get its hands on. And this is bad news for Sony. And I, when I saw this, I was like, ah, it, it really redoubles my suggestion to people with money. I'm not saying a lot of money, but people that have means if you're looking for a scalped unit and you're going to pay six or seven hundred dollars for it, just do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's my opinion. Yeah. Do what you got to do, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be a, a great scene. So how are you feeling about this? And Sony has has lost that edge, that PR edge of saying, like, we're outselling PS4. They're, they're most certainly not now. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it's not the best situation. I I do think you bring up the 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 main point, which is this provides opportunity for competitors to gain ground. You know, like I I think I, I have a suspicion. I don't know if this is true exactly, but like I have a suspicion that there's a reason why Xbox is doing well in Japan in comparison to how it's done in previous years, and I I feel like it's because PS fives are hard to find and Xboxes aren't as, especially in Japan where like they're just like less demanded general. Right. So like the, like I think something about it like I think the the new consoles had like over 100,000 units in Japan in the last year which is like where it like that's that's not a lot 
But when you consider the fact that the Xbox One like needed four years to do that exact same amount is like that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's, and, it's great. I mean, it's great news for them. Yeah, no but but it's it's definitely no doubt due to these like com- supply constraints. Like there's no I, I mean, maybe there's like a big cultural shift going on over in Japan that prefers, you know, Game Pass. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the reason. I think it's just scarcity is like really affecting everything. And and um, it's unfortunate. It's kind of crazy that this like ha- just happened, like just before we <laughs> we started recording. Indeed. And I, I also feel like it's worth noting that Switch is, I think, such a dominant force in, in Japan that people mm-hmm. are kind of just content. I, we, we discussed about a month ago that Media Creates had a, a, a top 30 list in which PlayStation wasn't even on it. There were no PlayStation games. I'm not saying first or second party games. I'm saying nothing that was released on PlayStation was in the top 30 games sold that week in Japan. Crazy. Not one of them, not number 28 or something like that was a PlayStation game. So it was all, all Nintendo it was Switch all, games. All Switch, all Switch yeah. games? All Switch games. And now we're not going to be able to ever track Xbox sales there because Game Pass is going to be a, a, a situation there too, I'm sure. So I don't know, man. It, it's unfortunate. I was reading, I'm sure you saw, Sony has started flying entire 747s full of PlayStation 5s into places to like get them to the market. Just yeah. incredibly expensive and cumbersome and annoying. I feel bad for people that don't have one yet. I'll reiterate that. I, I, it's hard for me to re- keep reiterating that you're not missing anything because you're going to start missing a lot now. And yeah. my, my, my take is this, Chris, and I just want to reiterate. If your time and your effort and your energy bandwidth, it's all valuable. You got to put a price on it. If you like the, the thrill of the hunt, which I know some people do, that's cool. But I'm telling you guys, a one or two hundred dollar premium, two hundred fifty dollar premium, premium on a PS Five, is going to save you a lot of drama, and it sounds like the drama is going to go on a lot longer. So, buckle up, buckle up. <laughs> Number two. This was originally going to be the top story, and I think this is a substantial story. I'm wondering if other podcasts will talk about this, but we have to talk about it here because we love getting in the weeds. Number two. Mega important gaming engine Unity has made a surprising purchase. In our era of mergers and acquisitions, the San Francisco-based company purchased none other than Weta Digital, based in New Zealand and co-founded by famous director Peter Jackson. An Academy Award-winning special effects company, Weta Digital's work is renowned. It's responsible for the special effects in Jackson's beloved Lord of the Rings trilogy between 2001 and 2003, entered sci-fi and fantasy with 2004's iRobot, 2006's Aragon, and 2016's Independence Day Resurgence, etc., etc., etc. But these days... Weta is perhaps best known for its extensive work in comic book movies and other productions, including the vaunted MCU, in which it had started participating with 2012's The Avengers. The company is working on the sequel to hit Avatar, the hit Avatar, which it also worked extensively on and has Avatars 3, 4, and 5 also in development. Jesus it also Christ. veered in the TV with Game of Thrones and others. Unity, founded in 2004, is known on the market as Unity Technology, and it's this company that has spent some $1.6 billion for Weta. Why does this make sense? Because Weta does all of that amazing special effects work largely with proprietary software, middleware, and other technologies and solutions, and there is incredible value to be leveraged there, particularly when it comes to video games. Unity specialty as an arena is Unity specialty is in an arena Weta barely acknowledges. Unity shtick from the beginning is in its name. The idea is to make a game in one place and have it scale across many platforms. It's currently supporting more than two dozen and came to prominence during the PS3 and Vita era, making it easy for developers big and small to port between the machines and later to and from PS4 too. In a press release, Unity stated in part that this, quote, 
definitive agreement to acquire Weta Digital's tools, pipeline, technology, and engineering talent is designed to put Weta's incredibly exclusive and sophisticated visual effects tools into the hands of millions of creators and artists around the world, and once integrated onto the Unity platform, enable the next generation of real-time 3D creativity and the shape of the future of the metaverse, end quote. As for Unity, here are some games you may have played on the platform in the last 10 years. Kerbal Space Program, Oregon Trail, Plague Inc., Max and the Magic Marker, and Max and the Curse of the Brotherhood, Republic, Kentucky Route Zero, Lifeless Planet, Counterspy, The Forest, Wasteland 2, and Wasteland 3, Lara Croft Go, Ori and the Blind Forest, Overcooked and Overcooked 2, Recore, I Am Satsuna, Dear Esther, Golf Story, Ukulele, Cuphead, Gwent, Subnautica, Outer Wilds, River City Girls, Dr. Mario World, Doki Doki Literature Club, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, and Pokemon Unite, Oddworld Soulstorm, and Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. James Walker wrote in and said, Greetings, three initials. As a preamble, I am a mega fan of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. So imagine my surprise when I saw Weta Digital. Peter Jackson's special effects company was bought by Unity for over a billion dollars. What does this mean, if anything, for game development on Unity? If nothing, why would they buy them? Lastly, how can Unity afford this purchase? If this was unreal, I could understand, but Unity is quite shocking to me. Just curious about your thoughts and opinions on this most perplexing purchase. I think this is a massive power play. I'm actually surprised yeah. about how cheap Weta was. When I when I saw the price, I was like, that's it? $1.6 billion? That's it? I mean, that seems like an absolute steal. These guys won like eight Academy Awards. Yeah. There's no special effects group in video games that has won any Academy Awards. Now Unity has this and they're going to adopt their pipeline and their middleware, which I think is going to be huge. But I'm curious, Chris, what you make of this. I, I feel like this is maybe kind of inside baseball. But our audience has to understand how important this is. And as the engine war ramps up, Unity has made a massive play to be considered one of the big ones. No, yeah. I mean, like, this shocked me when I saw it because Unity has done a really good job at, like, maintaining kind of the air of a startup. Like, even though, like, I know, like, a lot of video games are made on Unity, and I know, like, in my head, it makes sense that they would have the money to spend on a company like Weta, or Weta, it's still, like, super shocking to me, because Unity as an engine is so dinky and, like, super easily accessible, and I don't mean dinky in the sense that it's, like, not powerful, I'm just saying it's, like, so, like, I have Unity as an engine installed on my computer right now, and it costs to be nothing. You know, like, it, I just fuck around in it sometimes. And just the fact that something like that, <laughs> I just, I had no idea they were that big for some reason. Even though it would make sense because they make so many games. This is going to be huge, I think. Uh, that's, like, a lot of talent. It's a lot of, like you said, proprietary, like, proprietary software that, like, they could really, really leverage. Granted, Unity in and of itself is already a super flexible tool. The fact that, like, you can get Ori... Cuphead and all these other different games out of that engine is like a testament to how flexible that that engine actually is. So I'm not sure what tangible difference it would make necessarily to like any given game. I'm sure you could make a staggeringly beautiful game on on Unity even without Weta's you know um, technologies or expertise or what have you. But this is definitely like a massive power play in the industry because it to me it just it, the biggest aspect of it is that it takes Weta off the table for everybody else. You know. If, yeah, they were, and if they were people to if they were even, you know, looking to get them, it sounds like what they're going to do is they're going to kind of take their tech people and absorb them and then leave the actual artists to do the, like they'll own them, but they'll stay in New Zealand and, and do the work. And I think that's going to make them a lot of revenue. So I think it's wise to do that. Totally. I don't know how like 
Unity is privately held, so I don't think their money, it, their their numbers are known. They have like 3,000 employees, so they're a sizable company. $1.6 billion is a lot of money. And I have to remind people that deals like this aren't usually done in cash. They can be done in cash, but the, the way that they can do something like this is usually through borrowing. You can have options and all of that as well. And borrowing money is very cheap right now. In fact, you would be stupid as fuck not to borrow money to do something like this if you had the means to pay it back later. So I understand the move. For me, I feel like it's all about that word pipeline, which they used. Yeah. A lot of engines, you'll see splash screens when you play a game with all of these things that were made to use to make the game. And, you know, like and you have and a lot of it is middleware. A lot of it is just boring shit that like animates movement and deals with gravity and like in-game gravity and all these different things. And they're all stitched on to various engines because they make the engines react in a certain way. And the pipeline or the engine used with all these various tools allow them to create the outcome that they want. It seems like what Unity is doing is creating such a an creating an ambitious approach wherein there is no need for anything else outside of them. And you don't have to pay a licensing fee to Havoc and you don't have to pay a licensing fee to whoever and you don't have to. They're like, you just use us. And very similar to Unreal there, they make money by selling games at the end and making a certain rip off of games sold using their engine. So the, the idea for them has to be to make it as broad and easy to use as possible to draw as many people as possible into the door. And so I think this is very wise. And dare I say, it makes me wet. It makes me wait. A <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. I'm going to make that the title of the show. It's yeah. making me wait. A All right. Number three. Weeks ago on Sacred Symbols Plus, I sat down to speak with Dylan Cuthbert, founder of Japanese studio Q Games. In the PlayStation space, we know Q Games best for its many pixel junk games on PS3, PS4, and Vita, but there was one game in particular that came out of the studio during its long-running second-party relationship with Sony that's perhaps most peculiar, and which Cuthbert expressed was a game they'd be keen on reacquiring from Sony. Well, the deed is done. Q Games is now the sole owner of the Tomorrow Children, according to a note on their official website, which states in part, quote, the Tomorrow Children was originally released by Sony almost exactly five years ago as a free-to-play online title, showcasing an unorthodox rendering technology called voxel cone tracing, large-scale cooperative gameplay, and a futuristic world setting like no other. Despite having a large number of fans worldwide clocking up hundreds of hours each, the game was taken offline just one year later and has not been replayable or not has not been playable by the public ever since. End quote. As such, Q Games is currently undertaking the revitalization and re-release of this game, and they're doing so publicly, encouraging encouraging people to sign up for their mailing list. Once it's relaunched, we'll see what shape it's in. But this is the first time Sony has ever publicly relinquished an IP it funded and owned back to its original developer. And this falls more in line with how Sony and Q Games worked previously. Though seemingly second party, that was only via funding, PR, and more. Q Games owns Pixel Junk and those games, and now it owns the Tomorrow Children 2. Launched in 2016 on PS4, the game hasn't been playable since 2017. It will likely be so again in 2022. Nick Tarry wrote in and said, Colin, I have to ask. What do you make of the announcement this week that Dylan Cuthbert and Q Games will not only be given full ownership of the Tomorrow Children, but are also planning to tweak and relaunch the title? I personally never played the game when it originally launched, but I'm intrigued by the idea and I'm looking forward to the re-release. What say you? Just talk to Dylan. You guys saw it on Sacred Symbols Plus and he was really keen to do this. And I think, Chris, the most exciting thing to me is just that does this signal a Sony that is willing to sell their old games to the people who made them or to interested parties to get them back in the wild in some way sony must understand that by doing this they're sending a signal that it's possible right to do this and 
I feel like that is the most tantalizing piece of this puzzle. It's not the tomorrow. No offense to Q games. It's not the tomorrow children itself. It's what is God. There are hundreds of games that Sony owns that I'm sure the developers would love to get back. Yeah, it's the precedent. It's the precedent of it. Like just the the amount of games that are just kind of dead or stranded on old hardware that haven't been updated in God knows how long. Like now there there is like a weird signal here that it's like, hey, you know, it's almost like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, hey, if you uh, if you want to make an offer or if you want to you want to do something with this thing, maybe maybe we're open to conversation. That's exciting. Granted, I'm in the fortunate position of having most of my favorite games from my childhood already remastered because I will things into existence. Right. So I, so <laughs> aside from like Legacy of Kane and stuff like that, which is not Sony, but, you know, this is a really exciting premise for a lot of people, I would imagine. Like, like what, what, what's something that you would what's the first thing that came to mind when you thought of this, this possibility? Oh, I was thinking of some. I was thinking of something like Wild Arms or or something like that. Another, you know, Media Vision. Yeah. Like I would pay good money. I would be part of the. I would be part of the investing group that would try to acquire Wild Arms, to do more with it. And yeah, it, it opened my mind. Like Rogue Galaxy, Dark Cloud. There's like Dark so Cloud. many things that Sony owns. White Knight Chronicles. Like there's a million things that. Folklore. The. It, my mind goes on and on and on. There's just, there are a lot. And now I will say this to temper people's expectations. Dylan Cuthbert was a really big deal at Sony. He worked on Blasto. He, 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 Q games are the people that made a lot of the visualization graphics on PS2 and PS3. They have a really close relationship. Dylan Cuthbert helped create Star Fox. This isn't like some dude, you know, coming off the street. Right. So I will check it by saying that he has a lot of gravitas and that might've helped. But I still feel like there has to be teams around the world that are talking right now being like, oh, my God, like, can we get game X back? And my theory on this, on Sony's willingness to do this, and this is going to be the real test, Chris, is. Will the Tomorrow Children come to Xbox or Switch? My answer to this is no. Like, I, I think Sony must say, like, you can have it back, but it cannot go to these other platforms. So we have much to dis- much to figure out. And I want to have Dylan on on the show again to see if he'll discuss that with me. So stay tuned for that. And we'll see what happens. We mentioned this earlier, or we at least we um, alluded to it. But number, number four, both Metal Gear Solid 2 and Metal Gear Solid 3 on PS3 and Vita are being temporarily delisted from the PlayStation Store due to licensing issues. Word comes by way of publisher Konami itself, which in a brief note on its website said in part, quote, we are currently working on renewing the licenses for select historical archive footage used in game. Therefore, we have made the temporary decision to begin suspending the sale of Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 3, and all products that include these games, end quote. That means MGS2 and MGS3 as a la carte products, as well as in the HD collection, will no longer be for sale. Naturally, your physical versions of these games won't be affected, and you can still access the games from your download list if you already own them. As to when they may come back, it's anyone's guess. Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty launched on PlayStation 2 in 2001, and was followed by Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater on PS2 in 2004. Both games found their way via the Metal Gear Solid HD collection in, 2000, in 2011 to PS3 and 2012 to Vita, ported by none other than Bluepoint Games, which Sony now owns. Sergio Pina wrote in and said, hey, gang, I asked this over in the community section, but was hoping to get it featured on the show to get those other guys opinions on this. But earlier this week, the news came out that from Konami that they are pulling temporarily the Metal Gear Solid HD collection from all digital storefronts due to needing to relicense real world footage used in cutscenes. 
My question is regarding the Vita version digitally. Now that the pipeline for Vita certification is dead, can Konami put these games back up again after they've been removed? If they remove a game from sale, is there still a placeholder for them in the store since it's already been approved and sold so that they can just reactivate to sell again? Or does it have to go through the certification again? Does this all at all further the argument for getting physical over digital? Thanks, guys. I will answer the technical question and then throw it over to Chris. Mm -hmm. The technical answer to this question is that, yeah, it is possible because all they're doing is delisting the game. They still exist. It's literally just an engineer going into the back end and just clicking a box probably so that you can't search and buy the game anymore. And then when it's solved, they'll just click the box and it'll reappear on the store yeah. as a searchable item. The reason I say this is because Vita is not the only thing shut down. There is no certification process or pipeline for PS3 either. And so Konami's not making any edits because if, if they have to, if they can't get the licenses, the reality is those games aren't coming back online. Yeah. Now, I think they will get the licenses. And I was I had just played MGS3, actually, and I'm surprised that those things aren't even just public domain it's like yeah. they're not using anything crazy it's it's a little strange but they know what they're doing I, I assume but chris i know this probably bothers you a lot more than it bothers me i feel like people have to understand that these deals were made when game developers didn't understand the future of game distribution right there's no doubt in my mind that they could sell this game in a store if they wanted to reprint it i, I believe that because i'm <laughs> sure that's in the license no totally but this is different. And so I know that they have to work around it. I think people have to just be a little patient, but I also understand. Yeah. Is it, is it part of the digital future downfall of the digital future? I suppose, but guys, you can't go into the store and buy metal gear solid two or metal gear solid three either. Show me the store where they're selling those games. (laughs) I mean, yeah, no, you're you're right. So anyway, what do you think about this? I don't know. Like it didn't bother me necessarily uh I, I, because obviously the intent is to get them back up so hopefully this is temporary i i, I have no doubt de- like it would be insane if they weren't allowed to get these licenses back like because i'm i'm kind of like on the same boat as you where it's like they didn't really use anything in my opinion that like i really thought it was just like stock footage me too you know so it's it's a very weird situation but would have been nice to know ahead of time but these these aren't necessarily games that are like you know, being advertised as modern games or like, you know, like these aren't I, I doubt millions of people every day are like <laughs> buying new copies of the Metal Gear Solid collection, you know, so. They they know. definitely aren't. And that's the point is I almost feel like it's in reverse or people are pointing a finger. And to me, I'm like, well, your previous option was to buy them nowhere. Mm-hmm. And now and then there was an option to buy them digitally and that option will exist again. So. I get it, but. Well, let's go into number five, because this will kind of allow us to continue this conversation. Right. While there's a lot of love uh, about Rockstar's Grand Theft Auto trilogy on PlayStation 2, one of the most notable aspects of the game, especially for their time, are their amazing soundtracks. With the re-release of the games on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, both a la carte and in the GTA trilogy definitive edition formats, however, many people were curious how the music would carry over, as such a move requires a heavy licensing lift with lots of legal maneuvering and money. According to website Video Games Chronicle, however, most of the game's respective soundtracks made the jump faithfully, but there are some big exceptions, particularly when the licensed music really picked up with Vice City and San Andreas. Vice City soundtrack is missing multiple Michael Jackson songs and tracks from Lionel Richie, Kate Bush, and Ozzy Osbourne, while San Andreas's losses are more extensive and include tracks from Joe Cocker, Tom Petty, NWA, Rage Against the Machine, James Brown, and others. GTA 3, launched on PS2 in the fall of 2001, is widely considered one of the most important games in industry history. Its direct follow-ups, Vice City and San Andreas, were launched on PS2 in 2002 and 2004, respectively. We are one, you are two games, wrote in and said, This week, Bandai Namco announced Jump Force would be removed from all digital storefronts and servers shut down next year. 
At the same time, the GTA Remastered trilogy was confirmed to be missing several songs from the original game. Both these games seem to suffer from the never-ending issues of licenses and games. My question to you lads is, is there a better way to construct these agreements for present and future titles to avoid their removal from games or even their storefronts? If not, I sense we will see Sackboy's Big Adventure or Guardians of the Galaxy, among other games, suffer the same fate one day for their use of music that would require agreements over a period of time. As I said earlier, I really feel like you're not going to have those issues anymore. I feel like that's got to be in the license now. There's no yeah. doubt in my mind that Guardians of the Galaxy is not getting taken down because of its music. There's just no way I can imagine a reality where that happens. Mm -hmm. But it's true that the GTA remaster trilogy was a very Tony Hawk like situation where they had to go back and actually manually go and rework the licenses for every song. And as we know, Activision did it immense with immense success yeah. in Tony Hawk. They only missed, I think, two songs. Now here... Uh, Rockstar has missed out on way more. There are way more songs to choose from as well, but it is a little disappointing. I'm a little surprised that they can't get some of these people to come on board. Like the, the estate of Tom Petty, like, what do you want? People imagine the value of being, a, of, of, of having your game played by millions of 14, 15, 16, 18, 20, 25 year old kids that have never heard a fucking Tom Petty song in their lives. And yeah. they're going to go and listen to it on Spotify or maybe buy a record can't go see him anymore obviously but what did you make of the uh the missing gta songs and is it a similar situation that we find ourselves in wherein they just didn't make the licenses properly they couldn't have anticipated what was going to happen yeah well i think it's it's clear that like most of the time that the like every situation where this happens where it's a licensing issue about music in a video game it's never a video game that exists in the context of a digital ecosystem in the same way that it does the, in the same way that it exists today like it's usually remasters of old games that have old licenses that don't really have any idea how the internet works because the internet wasn't really important in any real way when those games were being made and when those games were being distributed and especially when those licenses were being you know negotiated and i agree with you that Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like that, like I, they, they must have <laughs> some kind of agreement there, where uh, you know it's it's not going to suffer the same fate as as these other games are. But I guess because we have yet to see, we we have it's a very interesting situation because like the games that have come out now that like are aware of this digital ecosystem haven't existed for a long enough period of time for us to really gauge whether or not those licenses are negotiated with those terms in mind you know like we haven't had enough time to figure that out uh but we have to assume that people are smarter and they understand what they're doing as far as like the songs that are missing from these games it's a fucking massive shame that rage against the machine is missing yeah they're not paying them enough money they've always been hypocrites but and i i have no problem with that because i love them and i don't agree with a lot of their message but yeah. it, i just think it's strange it's like well it's usually don't labels. you see the value don't it's usually you? labels that manage these things, which is like yeah, really like true. annoying. Like it's that's the most annoying thing. It's like it's got to suck to like because <laughs> especially like imagine like you you became like a really like solid band and then just before like, oh, you got signed to a major label and they control everything you do. And then all of a sudden, like a year later, Spotify happens and then like SoundCloud happens and then you don't need to do deal with any of that shit. <laughs> it's got to suck. But it's Definitely. I don't know. That's a massive loss, in my opinion, because like, I don't know. Rage Against the Machine is so like synonymous with PS2 to me and, or, or like that. Those those early like 3D games. And I feel like they fit they, they fit like right at home in in a game like Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and, you know, NWA and Tom Petty is like massive loss, too. But 
at the same time, I, d- I didn't play a ton of these games, so I don't know like what the overall soundtrack was. So I'm not going to miss out on any nostalgia necessarily, but it is unfortunate. The Vice City soundtrack is just incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. They're both great. San Andreas' soundtrack is great, too, but oh, God. Vice City soundtrack is just sublime. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay. Number six, Rainbow Six Extraction finally has a release date after being both renamed and delayed earlier this year. You can look forward to playing it on both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 beginning January 20th, 2022. And better yet, publisher slash developer Ubisoft seems to fully understand that it's working with a game that has no prayer of thriving as a full cost title. Thus, a game that was going to be $60 will release now at $40, and no matter what platform you buy it on, the game comes with a so-called buddy pass that allows players to invite two friends for 14 days of free play. This tactical co-op game also allows for cross-platform play and cross-platform progression, and players will be given access to 18 so-called operators to play as. As you may recall, Rainbow Six, uh, Six, I call it Siege, Extraction, was revealed back at E3 in 2019, and it was given the name Rainbow Six Quarantine. However, that name was obviously ill-chosen, though they couldn't have known at the time. COVID ravaged society the year after making us all fully aware of the implication of the name, and so they changed it earlier this year. Extraction hails from arguably Ubisoft's most important team, Ubisoft Montreal, which in the past developed many Assassin's Creed games, amongst tons of other games. I'm not excited about this game, but I think this is a very nice move on Ubisoft's part to try to make it work. What do you think about the pricing scheme, trying to bring a friend along with you and all of that? I think that's uh, maybe the only chance it has. Yeah, yeah, because I, I have not seen any hype for this this game at all. Like, even from people that I know who are like, are, like, super into Siege. Like, this is just not, it's not resonating with people, which is, like, a really unfortunate situation to be in from, like, a developer perspective, because you're like, damn, dude, like, we, like, spent a lot of time on this, and I'm sure, like, they're probably proud of it, and I'm sure it's probably, like, functional and, and, and fun in some way, but it's just not going to find an audience if it's stranded behind a $60 paywall, especially if it has to compete with all of these like really big contenders in the space. And especially if it has to compete with free to play games that are like really dominating and are probably going to dominate well into the time that this game is going to launch in. $40 is definitely better. Uh, I think um, I think the 14 day buddy pass is like a really nice consumer friendly move. But at the same time, man, I think. I, I, I don't see a future for this thing. Like, I, I think this is like a not necessarily a dead in the water type deal, but I feel like this is like a this is going to find like a very specific, dedicated group of people to play it. And it's probably not going to thrive beyond that, which I guess Siege kind of is. But I feel like Siege has more appeal than this does. Yeah, definitely. Well, Siege Siege is very appeal. It's just in it's, in, it's it's entrenched already. Yeah, I feel like Ubisoft is starting to make shooters that are competing with itself for no reason. It's actually getting right. worse and worse. Yeah. Red Storm is doing that Homeland game or whatever it's called. Um, Heartland or whatever. Uh, we have this free to play X defiant game. It's like what these games are all actually flooding together. And that's one complaint I do have about Far Cry 6 is I was like, God, this game, it's beautiful. But Ubisoft games all look the same and they got to break away from that. It's it's quite deficient 
when it comes down to it like having every one of your games <laughs> just seem like they're the same thing as the previous game and I, I know it's engine work and a lot of similar talent and stuff but Ubisoft has had no personality for like 10 years as far as doing like a Rayman game yeah or that's what that's why that VR games that's why that Phoenix Rising game was was so such a breath of fresh mm. air like like yeah, I, I didn't I didn't love that game but it was definitely like nice to play you know it was definitely like a nice change of pace for Ubisoft uh, and you know, like you mentioned, X deficient or whatever that game was. Um, I just don't see it, man. Like I feel oh like oh my just... god, I couldn't. I can't believe that game. I can't believe it. <laughs> it is wild. It it is like astounding that that was a decision that uh, a group of people who are presumably, you know, have their brains intact made. We'll see, man. Word on the sh- word on the street is Ubisoft's not in great shape. I mean, it seems like they're hemorrhaging talent, and. It's not mm-hmm. surprised. It doesn't seem like it's a great place to work. Although I don't know for sure. I don't really talk to anyone at Ubisoft. I imagine a lot of people at Ubisoft don't like me. I mean, I know the PR people don't like me, but I imagine that Ubisoft just seems like a bunch of studios that wouldn't like Holland Moriarty very much. <laughs> but I like I like your Far Cry games. All right. Number seven. Konami has completely and utterly botched the re-release of its Pro Evolution soccer franchise. As we've noted in recent weeks, Konami's new series simply called eFootball was designed as a free-to-play rival to Electronic Arts' dominant FIFA soccer franchise, which Konami has long competed with, but has rarely surpassed. Konami's winning 11 soccer series began in the mid-90s in Japan, was known until recently in the West as Pez, and to better compete with FIFA, Konami wisely decided to go free-to-play, which is an awesome idea in a world where it's just as likely to have a lucrative smash hit using that system of monetization. But when the game launched in both demo form and in the more final form beginning in September, it was clear the game was in horrible shape, likely due to it running primarily off of the mobile version, even on PlayStation 4. Konami was planning a major update to the game to fix things up, but has announced a major delay. The game will now be updated in the spring of 2022, giving Konami and its team much needed time to get things right. Their statement reads in part, quote, We have been working diligently towards distributing an update that will bring new content to the game, including a new mode where you can strengthen and play as an original team, end quote. I'm sorry, uh, ellipsis. Unfortunately, we have concluded that more time is needed to deliver the product in the quality that will meet the expectations of our users and have decided to postpone delivery, end quote. As such, uh, eFootball has, I wrote FIFA here, eFootball has canceled monetization options, including the premium player pack until 2022. This is a goddamn shame because Konami couldn't have timed this any better. And we're going to find out in a little while, eFootball was also incredibly popular. So... They really shat the bed here. EA is in a fight with FIFA for the license. 2K, who doesn't even make a soccer game, is having is expressing overtures that they're going to try to get the FIFA license. <laughs> so you have these two other behemoths fighting with each other. And then eFootball e- is just like, OK, well, they, this would have been the perfect timing. And, and you only get one first impression. It's so important to remember that in life. Yeah. You only get one first impression. It is very rare for a Final Fantasy 14 or a No Man's Sky to come out and capture people again. And I just can't imagine eFootball is going to be able to do that. That's the biggest shame because I'll talk about it in a little while. People were playing it. Lots of people. And I don't think they're going to be able to get them back by the time this update rolls out. So what do you make of this, Chris? Yeah, no way. This is they, they, they fumbled the bag here real hard. This is this is such unfortunate timing because they probably couldn't have necessarily predicted that like uh, FIFA and and um, that that FIFA would be having this like weird like fight over the license or like the fight over the name like they probably couldn't had no idea they probably wrote this game off as like ah FIFA's gonna 
It's FIFA. You can't beat FIFA. Let's just throw a mobile game out on the store, whatever. And then come to find out, (laughs) people are looking to get, like, get off of FIFA and FIFA's having this like weird trouble and you're like damn we picked the wrong year to slack off definitely it was like you couldn't have it's like the worst timing ever like it really sucks it's a real shame I don't know what else to say about it. like we what was that thing that we were talking about like the last time they were in the news about like how the ball physics the, the ball physics yeah don't that work? was one of the things they were gonna fix was the ball physics how do you not <laughs> fucking wow man I can't get over that still to this day. It's a great example of why execution is so important. 100%. A, a good idea is only so much. You can only do so much, right? Mm-hmm. A good idea is a good idea. And it's a good idea. It's a really good idea to compete with, with FIFA this way. You got to execute. I don't understand why companies don't understand what they don't understand about this. Having something to begin with that is worthwhile and... Shit, I'm just going to skip ahead. I'm going to read number um, 11 right now. As it does each month, Sony has revealed the top downloaded games on the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 via PlayStation Network. In other words, these are the most popular digital games this time for October of 2021. On PlayStation 5, the top 20 downloaded games were in order. Far Cry 6, FIFA 22, Black for Blood, Demon Slayer, The Hinomaki Chronicles, NBA 2K22, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Madden NFL 22, NHL 22, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl, Miles Morales, Alan Wake Remastered, Deathloop, Riders Republic, The Dark Pictures Anthology, House of Ashes, Kena, or Kina, I don't, I don't even want to say it anymore, Bridge of Spirits, <laughs> Diablo 2 Resurrected, Repub- uh, Hot Wheels Unleashed, Mortal Kombat 11, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Over on PS4, the top 20 games in order were FIFA 22, Far Cry 6, Back for Blood, Madden NFL 22, NBA 2K22, Demon Slayer, The Hinomaki Chronicles, Grand Theft Auto 5, NHL 22, Insurgency Sandstorm, Minecraft, God of War, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, Red Dead Redemption 2, Friday the 13th, Diablo 2 Resurrected, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Mortal Kombat 11, Gang Beasts, Need for Speed Heat, and Naruto to Baruto, which I'm sure I'm saying right, Shinobi Striker. Over on PS4 VR, the top 10 most downloaded games were in order. Beat Saber, Job Simulator, Batman Arkham VR, The Walking Dead, Saints and Sinners, Superhot VR, Swordsman VR, Gorn, Paranormal Activity, The Lost Soul, Arizona Sunshine, and Rick and Morty Virtual Regality. Believe it or not, the month's most popular free-to-play game on PS4 and PS5 was eFootball 2022, followed by Fortnite, Call of Duty Warzone, Rocket League, and Enlisted. I want to repeat that. <laughs> on PS4 and PS5 in the month of October, eFootball had so much promise to people as an idea that they played it more on PS4 and PS5 than Fortnite. Okay? They, yeah. They God played it more damn. than Genshin Impact. They played it more than World of Tanks. Does everyone see now what happened? How they dropped the ball? Yeah. God damn, man. That, it's like you said, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. It would have worked if they just made a good game. <laughs> damn, that's crazy. More than Fortnite. <laughs> that's stupid. That's just a dumb. That's reality being dumb for a second in your on your behalf yeah you know like and, and you just totally fumble the bag that sucks <laughs> i mean that's when i saw that i was like that's absolutely brutal they all have chest pains at that studio right now yeah i mean i'm you sure know? the konami i'm sure the konami guys that are starting to slowly like dip their foot their foot back into console gaming are like great you know and and uh, i'm like guys 
oh, you, you got to just hold on until you're ready. It is so much better to wait. Oh, it is so much better to wait. Yeah. Damn. Number eight. Let's go back. Rumor has it publisher Electronic Arts is on the verge of reviving its once popular boxing series Fight Night, which first launched on PlayStation 2 in 2004 and was last seen on PlayStation 3 in the form of Fight Night Champion. Word of the revival comes by way of trusted games, gaming website Video Games Chronicle, which notes that a new Fight Night project codenamed Moneyball has been greenlit, but quote is still likely several years from release. This is due to EA Canada's decision to temporarily pause its core development in order to prioritize the next EA Sports UFC game, which is planned for late next year, end quote. In an email seen by VGC, EA Canada's leadership seems to acknowledge the existence of both games, noting that the upcoming UFC game must be done to the utmost quality before they move on. So while why has it taken so long rather for Fight Night to return? VGC suggests it's due to licensing issues with individual boxers, but EA seems ready and willing to overcome that problem, particularly as the last Fight Night game was a critical success. You recall that while EA actually produced a series of boxing games called Knockout Kings on PS1 and PS2 in the years before Fight Night, it was Fight Night that had the EA Sports gravitas the previous franchise was missing. There were three releases in 2004, 2005, and 2006, all on PS2, with Fight Night Round 4 coming to PS3 in 2009. The last one was in 2011. Are you, you ever play these games? These are really interesting fighting or boxing games. Yeah. Here's my memory of these games, and people can correct me or tell me if, if they feel the same. When these games came out, it felt like Electronic Arts for the first time was putting out a very premium sports game that was more than just a simulation. And I remember that it was drawing in a lot of interesting people in my orbit, including the head of IGN PlayStation at the time, Jeremy Dunham, who's now the vice president of Psyonix, the Rocket League studio. He was obsessed with these games. He's a huge fight fan, a huge boxing fan. And he and his friends would always say that this game was very true to form and very, I don't want to say simulation like, but really enjoyable it's not like playing a wonderful game like mike tyson's punch out nes snes the Wii, Wii, those are all great games but this is a little different and it is a little bit of a surprise that it's fallen off although i understand that the same team that made it makes the ufc games which are much more important now but i don't know i i just feel like this is a great thing to come back boxing is is a premium sport that is always always trending and yeah. always on the tip of people's now it's weird people that are fighting Jake Paul versus <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. But that's what people are watching. And I wonder. So I wonder if this is kind of the right time to bring it back too. and I, I wonder if it'll be a much more cartoonish look at boxing. Yeah, think? I, I think it, I think it's a good idea. Like, I, like I, it's funny because I haven't thought about fight night in a, in a very, very long time. But I remember when I when I um when I went to my cousin's house, uh, he had just picked up the Xbox 360 and it was like new. It was like really new at the time. And I remember he was like showing me all this, like ah wireless controller, all this shit. And he booted up Fight Night, and I remember, I remember, it was, I think it was Fight Night Round Three, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, but it looked so real to me <laughs> at the time. I remember being like, "This is it. This is insane how real this game looks." You look at it now, doesn't look super real, right? But right. but even like, dude, like modern foot, like I'm looking at like a Fight Night Round Three footage, Xbox 360, PS3 gameplay that was uploaded in 2016 that you could watch in like 720p like relatively high def doesn't look that bad at all like it it looks oldish but like it's actually kind of impressive that a game that's this old looks this good still i have i have very limited experience i played it a little bit at my cousin's house didn't dive too deeply into it not that big of a boxing guy not that big of a sports guy but i remember being impressed enough by it that fight night as a name made an impression on me which is more than i can say for most pretty much any other 
game of that kind of genre or, or in that or in that you know category. So sure. I, I think that, it's a great thing. That's exactly my memory of it too. Was just like this really premium thing. Actually, I remember the first time I ever saw it was in Grandma's Boy. If people are familiar with that movie, which is an <laughs> awesome movie about a video game studio and um, in Adam Sandler's orbit, like those guys, and they play. There's clearly an, a promotion with a bunch of different things, and they play Fight Night a bunch in the in the in the uh, movie. I love that movie so much. Don't forget your smoking pipe, or your smoking. Did you say smoking lamp? I don't remember. Oh, you I never heard of that. Gra- you never heard of Grandma's Boy? Grandma's Boy. Oh my God, Chris! Grandma's Boy is fucking phenomenal. You would love. I guarantee you'd love that movie. I would. I'll. I'll give you a hundred dollars if you don't love Grandma's Boy. When you watch it. <laughs> it's about like a, a like a thirty something game developer who like lives with his grandma because he's kicked out of his apartment. But is, and it's like, it's it's really zany. Oh, like I've and seen. The, yeah, I've seen. I've seen trailers for this. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the mom from Everybody Loves Raymond. Is, right, uh, and Jonah Hill's in it and others like, you know, pre-popularity Jonah Hill and others. It's, it's funny, very funny. Anyway, that, I mean, that's, a, that's probably the most, in my opinion, that's like The Wizard and that, game, that movie are like the two quintessential video game movies in my, in my mind. Oh. The Wizard is obviously even more important. All right, number nine. Website Komatsu has provided us with a small group of notable trademarks to peruse to figure out as usual what they might be. Let's start with the Japanese publisher Sega. Gamatsu reports that the company has filed trademarks for a Sonic game called Sonic Frontiers, while the company also trademarked Shining Force, though it's worth get, not getting excited about as it's a mobile game. So let's stop there. Sonic Frontiers. Yeah. So open world Sonic, obviously. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. God, I help think so. Us. Meanwhile, publisher Square Enix, also located out of Japan, filed trademarks in multiple locations for two unknown products, The Beasts of Burden and Diofield Chronicle. A Japanese trademark for a game named The Captive Beast was also made and is assumed to be the same project as The Beast of Burden. Next up is fellow Japanese publisher Bandai Namco, which trademarked a game named Origination, as well as two Japan-only trademarks in the Taiko no Tatsujin music series. So those won't come here. And finally, perhaps the most immediate mystery of all isn't a trademark, but a classification filing. The Australian Games Rating Board classified a game from, called Project Pen from J- Japanese Sega-owned developer Atlas. It's unclear what it may be. So just a few names to throw into the ether to keep an eye out for. Yeah. I think Chris is right. Sonic Frontiers is an open world Sonic game. I think that's obvious. But the Beast of Burden and Diofield Chronicle from Square Enix. We'll see what those are. Origination from Bandai Namco and Project Pen from Atlas. All unknown quantities. Yeah. A little weird. Number 10. Number 10. Nothing more to say about that, I don't think. No. Depending on which metrics you examine, Turtle Rock's newly released co-op shooter Back for Blood, the spiritual successor to its popular Left 4 Dead games, may or may not be doing well. Either way, though, the game, launched in early October on PS4 and PS5, has had its initial DLC update and other support offerings outlined. Word comes by way of the game's social feeds, which notes that free updates will begin coming in three births. Uh, births, not births. <laughs> one this month, one in December, and then another at some point in 2022. These free updates will improve the game and, important for yours truly, Back for Blood will finally receive proper solo offline play and campaign progression with the updates. That's what stopped me from even trying it because I saw that that was the case. Finally, the annual pass will have three full paid expansions, one called Tunnels of Terror and the other two are yet unnamed. Weapon types, modes, cards and more will also be included. Back for Blood, which was also included in Xbox's popular Game Pass subscription at launch, is the first core game from Warner Brothers owned studio Turtle Rock in six years. 2015's Evolve, which was published by 2K, was its last proper effort, an asymmetric multiplayer game on PlayStation 4 that went free-to-play the following year and eventually shut down due to disinterest. 2008's Left 4 Dead and 2010's Left 4 Dead 2 
neither of which came to PlayStation consoles, remain Turtle Rock's most beloved titles. Chris, I'm surprised that I haven't heard you talking about this game more. Where Are you just not feeling it? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I was looking forward to playing it, but like Left 4 Dead and like Back 4 Blood and these types of games, they kind of, in my opinion, they require you to play it with people. Like Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2 are great games and they're definitely competent and enjoyable to play on their own. But it's it really is enhanced by playing with a team of people because a lot of it is really just that enjoyment of kind of that that camaraderie and that kind of like working together to push through something like it's there's something about it that like left for dead's a really simple formula but it nails that kind of togetherness and just straight up i don't know many people who are super interested in playing playing back for blood i enjoyed what i played of it when i played the beta with uh with uh dustin and uh some of our friends i think i played we played with uh jimmy and we had a good time i enjoyed it but there's also a lot to play right now Hmm. you know and it's a lot easier to make time for a single player game like guardians of the galaxy you know than it is for me to get three other people together to be like hey what do you you guys want to play back for blood today and everybody's like nah i'm playing this i'm playing that and it's like all right well fair enough I'm sure I'll get to it eventually, but it's not necessarily something that I'm rushing to complete because I know there's no story that's going to get spoiled for me in any real meaningful way. I know it's right. it's not going to change significantly in like a couple months. So I feel comfortable just kind of like leaving it for a time when I feel a little bit more free. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's not grabbing me. But I also don't play Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2 today, you know? Right, so, right. Of course. So Well, because I think that was what people were noting was that on Steam anyway, Left 4 Dead 2's player count is higher than Back 4 mm-hmm. Bloods, and that's pretty ominous. That is pretty, <laughs> so, that is, that is pretty ominous. So we'll we'll see what goes, because I like Turtle Rock, but I think that they they made the game here they should have just made in 2015. And, yeah, uh, I agree. I, don't, I think they got too cute by half with Evolve. It was too complicated. People weren't into it, and uh, I remember that very well. That's exactly my feeling on it. I, I remember like playing Evolve and being like, I really wish I was into this. Because I do think it was a cool game. I just think it was just like it's really inaccessible in comparison to like everything else at the time. Like that was around Overwatch time, you know, and Overwatch was like sure. super, super accessible. Just uh, and even just d- d- Vanilla Destiny was a lot more accessible, too. It's like th- there's a lot around that that game that was like really confusing. But I think the overall overall, the single player part of it is like really solid, like like the actual like you're playing as survivors part of it is really fun and it's really good. And it's actually like genuinely, I think a step up from left for dead in a lot of ways but it's that it's that that extra level that asymmetric part that they really don't get right where like you play as the zombies and you kind of fight against a team of four humans trying to take you take you down they in in back for blood they just it just doesn't work as well in left for dead and and left for dead 2 because it's all like in those previous games it was all about like you ran through the campaign as both teams you like you would go through the campaign level and then like a team of uh, zombies would try to stop you from getting to the to the end of the mission. But in in Back for Blood, it's just an arena where you're just fighting. And it's like that's not nearly as fun or interesting. And it, just a simple change to that old way of doing it would have made all the difference, I think. But just my opinion. Good insight. Who knows? Finally, number 12 is a wrap up. Publisher Square Enix revealed that much anticipated Final Fantasy 14 expansion and Walker due out on PS4 and PS5 later in November, has been slightly delayed and will now come out on December 7th. 
The publisher also revealed that Spider-Man would be coming to its Crystal Dynamics developed Avengers game on November 30th on both PS4 and PS5. Website Push Square reports action RPG LX2 comes to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on March 1st, 2022. Website Gamatsu reveals uh, Mech Racer Break Arts 2 comes to PS4 on December 2nd. Monochrome Platformer White Shadows comes to PS5 on December 7th. Farming Game pl- uh, Farming Plus Game Rune Factory 4 Special comes to PS4 on December 7th. Adventure Game Wanderer comes to PSVR on January 27th, 2022. And FPS Industria comes to PS5 at some point in 2022. Publisher Thunderful revealed the following games, all with unknown release dates beginning in 2022 and presumed for release on both PS4 and PS5 as we wrap this up. Co-op game SteamWorld Headhunter, which is the new SteamWorld game. Kind of weird. 3D action, uh, 3D platformers, rather, Togues and Hellpie. Those are two different games. Arcade shooter Swordship, so-called Motorvania, Leica, Age Through Blood, and action game Wavetail. So we'll see what comes of that. And as we always do, Tradition dictates we end every episode of Sacred Symbols with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience at patreon.com slash lastdaymedia, where, again, you can support us for early ad-free access, the ability to submit these inquiries, access to Sacred Symbols Plus, get your name in the credits, and so on and so forth. Thank you for your support. Let's begin with Landon Hansen, who has a serious question. He says, hey, Sacred Family, I am a high school senior, and lately I've been torn to trying to decide what I want to do with my life. I'd love to work in film and media. But with the ever-increasing student loan debt, I'm not sure I want to even bother going through university. I'm already getting my associate's degree through my local community college in this field, but I would like your guys' input on my situation and maybe help me make a decision. Thanks. Well, I want to say at the top, we can't push you in a certain direction. We don't know you. Yeah. You you ultimately have to make your own decision. But I am very interested to see what Chris has to say about this. And, and what I will say, Landon, is that College was a really important experience for me, socially, developmentally, and all of that. But, and I would not trade my time at Northeastern for anything. I really wouldn't. It would change everything about my life. But in preparing me for the real world, I don't think Northeastern had anything to do with what I needed to know. And that might be different for different people, especially depending on your discipline. I was an American historian, American history major. That's obviously not going to be this most intensive, useful thing, like studying nursing or something. But I think you have to think very carefully, like you said, about the money it's going to cost to get the outcome you want. And if the outcome you want can come without that collegiate experience. Mm-hmm. College is something that I think too many people are going to. It reduces the value of going to college. It reduces the value of everyone's degrees when more people go to college, of course. But it reduces the value of even having gone to college at all. And I think people need to start kind of shaking off this idea that the only way to be successful in life is to have a four-year college degree. It's just not true. And um, it's easy for me to say as someone with one, but I'm telling you, I don't think it had much bearing on getting me to where I am now. I think it had a big bearing on getting me to where I was socially and all of that, but that's different. So Chris, what, what do you think here about Landon's situation? What should he do? Especially because your situation was a little different. Your, your route's a little different and actually a great example of why you don't necessarily need the piece of paper to find success. Yeah, no, I, I, I <laughs> well, I mean, he, he said he's, he, he'd love to work in film and media and, and that's, that's what I went to school for as well. I did a little bit of uh, film studies at like a community college, you know, and I went to, uh, I dabbled in a little bit of film school as well. And what I learned immediately, specifically in that field, was that it was a waste of my time and money. I'm glad that I went to community college first because it it, it made it, it helped me come to the conclusion that like yeah, I don't actually need a piece of paper to prove that I'm good at this, and I don't have to spend a ton of money learning that. 
the reality is in 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 things like media and film people only care about your work people only care about your reel people only care about what you can do and whether or not you can prove that you can do it um this is not going to school for surgery you know or like being like a nurse or like a doctor or like you know uh, a geneticist or something like that where it's like yeah you have to go to school you can't, you're not going to go to a self-made surgeon <laughs> you know, like a, it's there are very different needs for very different career paths. And I, I really do think the whole college experience was really unfairly like forced upon a lot of people. Like, I really I think don't so think I, I don't think I benefited at all from college. In fact, I think like the most of what I learned uh, about like being an adult and like being successful came from when I decided to just sort of abandon everything and move across the country. And like live on my own and like kind of figure things out by myself because I was in a field where I knew that all I had to do was meet people and do good work. And I really think like obviously this is not advice that goes into every single, you know, possible career path. Obviously, like some people are going to have different needs. Some people need to go to school. But in my personal opinion, man, for film and media, you're better off just associating with people who also have that goal and who also have that dream and working with people who want to do that and who are serious about it. Not people who are like, Ooh, I got a, I got a story that I've been writing for like seven years. No, fuck that guy. Get, get that, get away from that guy. But people who are like actually like making moves and really trying and like trying to build things like work with those people, because Mm. those, those are the people who are going to get you what your degree ultimately signifies, which is, work that you can show that you can prove uh your abilities with and that's really all i i would that's really all that i would say like i I wouldn't want to push you in any direction but for film and media specifically man you don't need a four-year degree you don't need even a a you don't need any pieces of paper at all i did not graduate college i dropped out of community college got the hell out of there (laughs) i think that's i think that's really sound advice because you have to decide what you're going to do and then make a plan. You're young, Landon. You're still in high school. It's an, a great time for you to have wisdom that we didn't have. At least I didn't have. I don't want to speak for Chris. And just getting your yourself really organized. If anything, I just told a story on one of our episodes of Knockback. I don't even know if it went live yet about how very laissez-faire it was when I graduated high school. I took a lot of things for granted. I was like, I'll go to Northeastern at some point. I just want to kind of dick around and play games. And I went to like night school, you know, like night classes and afternoon classes and at Northeastern and just was I just was like wasted a whole year of my life and that's fine but if you have a plan see here's the thing Landon you can never guarantee your own success but you can definitely weight the dice so that when you finally roll on the table you might get exactly what you're looking for and you weight the dice by working hard by Mm -hmm. being smart by making plans by saving money by living lean no credit God, no credit. Yeah. You know, and all of those things. And then when you roll the dice, you've done all you can. And the only things you can't control is like luck and to a lesser extent timing, which and timing truly is everything. So land and make a plan. Keep your head down. Work hard. Find the project. Like Chris said, find the right people. Yeah. And if college might be a very fulfilling situation for you, you should pursue it if you want. But Mm -hmm. Go in with eyes open. I certainly didn't go into college with eyes open. My parents, for as much as I love them, did not prepare me for <laughs> what taking out, you know, $75,000 meant. Oh, right? yeah. They didn't no. mean they didn't. No one told me that. 
No, yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's crazy. I, I know people who, like, do amazing work, right? Who, like, went to art school who are, like, under crippling debt. And I can't help but look at it and be like, man, I'm glad. I'm glad I did not do that. It's not fair. It sucks. I mean, um, well, it's fair in the sense that they knew what they were doing, but. I don't know it's... if they did, though. You know what I mean? Like, they push you into college really early where I don't think you really have a firm grasp as to what that really means. Especially... I, I was going to say, I think you're right. I think I'm wrong there. You're right, because I didn't know. Especially yeah. because, like, you just kind of assume everybody does it because it's a thing that, like, everybody tells you that everybody does. You know, it's like, oh, go to college. You know, it's what, it's what you have to do. And then you do it and you're like, wait, it's debt? <laughs> like, what? That's all it is for the most part? Unless you're like a doctor or like a fucking mathematician or some fucking crazy shit that like you really need that crazy degree for. I don't know. I, obviously, it's your life. Uh, you have to weigh your own decisions and your own values on what what you want more than anything. But that's the beauty and, and also the horror of life is um, yeah. ultimately you are the arbiter of all your decisions. Michael Buffel wrote in and said, hey, CDC, I noticed that Riders Republic has players choose their pronouns in the character creator. Starfield is also doing this and says the NPCs will use the pronoun you picked. I personally find it annoying, but this is the way the world is going. Do you guys think this is going to be a commonplace thing now in games that let characters create? Um, and will these games be in violation of China's new policy for games that they're allowed to play? <laughs> Thanks for all you do. Well, I don't know about... Uh, first of all, it sounds like they will be um, an infringe that will infringe on um, rules in China, although I don't know that Chinese gamers are really eager to get into Riders Republic. Yeah. Although I've been hearing good game things about that game. But... This doesn't bother me so long as it's not like crazy land shit, you know, no offense. But like if if a if a man wants to identify as a woman, whether you agree with that, it's not really relevant. As a human, if the person's like if you know the person's a man or was born a man, but they present as a woman and they want to be seen, seen as a woman, then it's really no skin off my back to treat you like a woman if that's what you want. She yeah. and her pronouns like. That's fine. Yeah, I agree. I'm not going to use like the Zzer crazy. Oh, no, no. The ne that's not happening. The, neo, the um, neo pronoun shit is bullshit. Like, I'm yeah, that's sorry. not happening. Like, that's, that's not happening. I'm sorry. That's not happening for me. But yeah. but now you're allowed to live your life like that. But yeah, I'm yeah. not going to be part of that. <laughs> but if you know, if within the context of normalcy, which I think, you know, this this trans conversation is happening or just people, the way people identify with their gender. I have a little grammatical problem with the, the the they there thing. I don't think it makes much sense, but I think maybe over time that will ameliorate itself as language changes or doesn't. But this, Michael, you say it bothers you. My question is why? Like, or that it's annoying you. It's like, well, why is it annoying? It, it, it's very much like I said with Far Cry 6. They let me pick my character. This is really just one level deeper. You have no character. You are your own avatar. So, of course, you'd want to be treated like, you know, why would you want it to be like, hey, man, when you're... A woman it's like that doesn't really seem like that big of a deal to me what do you think yeah i don't really see the big deal either i don't think it affects the game in any real way it's just another option that it's not being foisted upon you it's not like you're forced to choose it or like some weird shit like that it bothers me more when shit's removed from games for arbitrary reasons like a quran at the on like you know what i mean like the quran thing we talked about earlier where it's like are you gonna that's being removed why like that that bothers me more than like them putting in an option for your character to identify as if it's like i agree it's just an option it's like not a big deal man it's yeah i mean and the option for many of us is just going to be very conventional things it's, that's fine and then it's good to personalize games and have them cater to the player not always because sometimes you're playing as an avatar or another character it doesn't matter but right like if you're playing as 
Gerald in Witcher, it's not going to call you he, you know, the they there. He's a man, right? And that's just the way it, that's the way it is. But it doesn't have to be that way in these games in which you're the avatar, or you're making your own player. So I really so, see no problem with this as long as they're not like, you know, being like, you know, are you a demi boy gender fluid Zer weird thing, things I don't understand. I'm going to look at you with a blank face when you yeah. say that to me. I'm just going to stare at you and I'm going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But if <laughs> someone is like, I just want to be called a man or a woman or something, I'll be like, okay, that's yeah. Fine. I feel like most people are reasonable people. You know, I agree. like I think it's the reason why the world hasn't descended into absolute chaos. <laughs> you know, it's I think most people are reasoned enough to understand like, yeah, you know, I think most people have an understanding that like when you're asking them to say things like whatever the fuck. Yeah, it's most people are going to be like, listen, I support you, but come on. <laughs> like, Just give me give me a break here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mohammed Amir wrote in and said, hey, CDC. What's the deal with Media Molecule? Dreams hasn't been in the conversation in what feels like years at this point. Sony has been so ruthless with studio closures. I'm rather shocked that Media Molecule is still chugging along. Keep those sheets dry. Uh, it's funny you bring this up, Mohammed, because in a recent episode of Sacred Symbols Plus, a mailbag I did, I talked a little bit about this, and I agree. I'm shocked, too, which to me, Chris, only indicates that they must be working on something else because Dreams isn't going to happen. I'm I'm here yeah. to tell you what I've been saying the entire time the show has existed. Yeah. Dreams is never, ever going to become a thing that has been worth the time, energy and resources they've been dumping into it. And while that's all happening, they've taken Media Molecule off the off the map and not allowed them to make games. And it's been a real shame. How long do you think this goes on? Like, what do you what is your hypothesis about Media Molecule and Dreams and all of this is are they moving it to ps5 and pc i would assume that's inevitable but is that is that the whole game is like are they just going to be the the dream studio that can't be they can't right? it can't possibly right that would be such a, a terrible use of that studio um it, it would waste of everybody's time and money like the, the the thing that's disappointing about dreams is that i actually think they just handled it entirely wrong i really think it should have been one of those exceptions to the rule where it's like hey this is a pc day and date game like this is going to be out on playstation it's going to be out on pc you can you, you should have been able to export or like do something like a actually use it as like what the game is supposed to be instead of just having this weird, awkward thing. That's like, hey, you can practice how to make games. And then when you're really good at it, you can leave and make it and make money. <laughs> it's just very bizarre that they didn't like see this as an opportunity as opposed to just like this training tool, which is like mm -hmm. it's it's cool. It's a really neat idea as like a training tool, but like that's not useful in any real way to the studio that's not useful that's not a it's not a useful end goal for your game you know to teach somebody how to do something elsewhere like why not make your tool robust enough that you can use it as a tool and i really think their their um their insistence on not putting it on pc their insistence on you know waiting so long for basic features their insistence on you know, just making this really obtuse thing that has no way of really capitalizing on it. It's just a really bad decision. It's not a bad idea in concept. It's just they it's execution again, man. They executed this all wrong. There's plenty of custom games like Gary's Mod and shit that are hilarious, that have been staples of PC, uh, the PC ecosystem for years. And they could have did something, but they didn't. And if they're still working on Dreams this time next year god help god help him 
Because I don't know what they're doing. Because I'm sick of even hearing about it at this point. Yeah. We need to just come out and say, like, just the way that they handle dreams and and dreams as of itself. Look, this might be blunt. It's a failure. Move on. Yeah, it's it's not it's not going to happen. I'll remind everyone, Chris, that dreams was first shown off. It was 2014 PS4 reveal. PS4. 2013. 2013. I was there. It was in New York City. Yeah. That was when it was first shown. It was the guys using the PlayStation Move controllers to like paint and like move these characters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. All this time later, they have nothing really to show for this thing. And my my major concern for Media Molecule, which is why I feel like they must be doing something else, is because certainly you would have lost all of your artists at this point, right? You have to have a passion. If you're a Media Molecule at this point, your passion must be tools. Because you're not making anything. Yeah. You ha- what are your designers doing? What are your level artists doing? What are your character model modelers doing? What are your writers doing? Like those people need to do something. And I can't imagine that there are many of them there. Why would you be there? They haven't put out a game since Tearaway. And that was a game made by like 15 people. They haven't put out a full production since Little Big Planet 2. In 2011. It's a January, massive. 2011. It's a massive question, Mark. It's very strange that this is still like, I mean, what was the last time we heard about dreams? Like, what, like, did they? They talk about it a lot, but no one cares. I see it on, play, on PlayStation blog. No one interacts with those posts. They have like all. The, I'm sorry. It's sad. It's sad, but it's true. It's like what you said. It, it, it's just true. I'll be shocked. If this has a Lazarus like path where it just rises from the dead and becomes this. No one has ever cared about it. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. And. I am a little suspicious of Media Molecule's exist existence still, not because I want anyone to lose their jobs, but because it's uh, certainly not. But if I were at these other studios, I'd be like, what the fuck? You shut down evolution. At least we put something out, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, we wish Media Molecule the best, but my hope is, is that there's something new and exciting happening there. And if the bohemian avant-garde people in Sony's ecosystem are not going to live at Media Molecule, then where are they going to go? A Sobe, maybe? But I, I don't know. That's a Japanese team. You know, it's, now he's, it's led by a Westerner, but anyway, it doesn't matter. <sighs> Cameron Ogilvy wrote in and said, Evening, guys. I've been thinking a lot about Elden Ring recently. Selling Dustin. Love fantasy and RPGs, but I never took to Souls given the difficulty. With limited time to play, I couldn't get good, so I might miss another excellent game. And he says get good in quotes, obviously. It's been a recent theme. Our generation has less time as we're pulled in different directions with life. Even reviewers are biased towards shorter genres or games. My question for you guys, have you seen your relationship with gaming and genres within gaming change as you've gotten older? And if so, how? Many thanks, guys. LSM is a constant source of quality entertainment. Thank you, Cameron, for writing in. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was playing Far Cry 6. I find that my tastes as I've gotten older are just becoming increasingly eclectic. I've always been a really eclectic gamer in some respect, but I've found that there's so much more in the mix for me as an adult than there was when I was a kid. From age eight or nine to 17 or 18, 90% of what I was playing was Japanese role playing games. That was it. Yeah. With very rare exception. You, a Zelda game would come out, a big platform or something like that. That would be an exception. But now... I was playing Far Cry 6 and I was looking at my trophies and I'm like, man, I don't think I've sat down and really played a first person shooter all year. And I love first person shooters. But if you went to 16 year old Colin, 16 year old Colin had experience with like two shooters ever. It was like Doom and Medal of Honor when that came out the PS1. Oh, yeah. And so it would have been like. I don't care about shooters. I want to play shooters. And then 15 years later, if you told me, hey, Colin, when you're 37, 
um, you're never going to want to play Japanese role playing games anymore. And you're going to love shooters, first person shooters and third person shooters. And so I'd be like, you're lying. You're yeah. lying. Time traveling. Colin, get out of here. And I, I would shove him out of the door. <laughs> get out of here and steal Johnny. Be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess I am kind of doing my. Uh, my um, <laughs> you what, did what can bit, I think of that comedian's uh, name? You, because <laughs> uh, it is that Johnny be good that bit, that bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget the comedian too. Yeah, but... I can't remember his name. What do you think though about how your tastes have might have changed, or like the way you interact with games have changed? Are you more eclectic? Are you spending more time or less time with games, like what uh, I f- per game, etc.? Yeah, I find that like I used to be really. um I, I don't think I've changed all that much. I think I, I'm still very action oriented. I like action games. I like. I always used to, you know, I was I was into like, you know, Gears and like Vanquish and 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 like just like that type of shit. Like it was just like high octane, like like a lot of action, a lot of explosions. I love that shit. And when I was younger, I couldn't really deal with stuff like Metal Gear Solid. You know, like I it was it was hard for me to do. It was hard for me to really get into Splinter Cell and and it was hard for me to get into games that weren't full steam ahead like all the time and then like as as i got older i i think the game that really opened me up to it was um i think i think bioshock helped a lot just like mm-hmm. as, as something just like very like you know not your standard shoot i remember playing bioshock assuming that it was going to be like an action shooter because they all the marketing was like you know lightning out of your hand and like pistol and it's like oh this looks sick this looks awesome it looks like uh almost like um i mean skyrim wasn't out at that time but it almost looked like that kind of like that feeling of like magic in one hand and like a weapon in the other. And I was like super excited about it. And I played it and it was a horror game. And I was like, the f- what the hell is this? And then like, it was like a lot slower and a lot more interesting. And I realized that there was like a lot of world building happening and a lot of, a lot more to appreciate in just like the design of like a space than I was giving credit. And it even reevalu- it made me reevaluate some of the games that I was playing before and appreciate those in, in, in ways that I hadn't really thought about. And like games like shadow of the Colossus, which were, obviously a lot slower and a lot more solemn and empty. And I think after Shadow of the Colossus, I, I, I got a lot more patient and I was, a, I was able to play stuff like Splinter Cell and, and the older Metal Gear Solids and, and appreciate them a little bit more. And even like Red Dead Redemption 2, like when I was a kid, there was no way in hell I was playing through Red Dead Redemption 2. It was too slow, you know, too long, ain't no way in hell. But like, I don't know, as I've gotten older, I think I, I appreciate more aspects of what game design can offer as opposed like beyond just gameplay i still feel like gameplay is king i still feel like my favorite games of all time are probably all going to be games where the gameplay is probably miles better than every other aspect of it uh maybe bioshock is the only one that i can think of that might be a little bit differently that might be a little bit against that rule but i've definitely gotten more patient uh even with stuff like guardians of the galaxy which is fine it's like a very like like from a gameplay perspective it's not this impressive thing but maybe this has a lot of character work here and maybe there's a lot of fun interaction and like a lot of really cool story beats that are happening that like when i was a kid i probably would have just been listening to green day over you know like i right, right. I, I literally no, used to that's how i used to listen to music i would like listen to music while playing games so i'd miss a lot of like narrative and world building i don't know what the fuck was going on in gears of war i had no clue like i was just i was just popping people's heads and it was awesome but I'm the, I'm the same way. I I associate, I've said this before, Limp Biscuits, chocolate starfish, and the hot dog flavored water with Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask because I got them at the same time and then I would just play the CD while I was playing the game. Yeah. <laughs> Although that new Limp Biscuit record. I heard it was good. It's good. That song, Out of Style, 
Ooh, it's a rap rock banger, I'll tell you. All right. Kyle Day wrote in, said, hello, boys. Am I the only one that is vexed at how some people play video games on TV shows or in movies? It's like they have never seen someone actually play a game in real life before. The character holding the controller mindlessly just mashes buttons with no rhythm whatsoever. It's one of those small details that once I notice, I cannot unsee. I wanted to ask you about this because it's funny. Dagan and I, we just did Kill Bill Volume 1 on Knockback. Recorded it anyway. I don't know when it's going up. And uh, I was noting in that that one of the cool things I love, one of the attentions to detail that I know Tarantino always gets right is live music. And in Kill Bill, the band is actually clearly playing probably live. And you can tell, I mean, I'm a musician and you're a musician. I'm always fixated on that when the drummer is like, you know, like just playing like some stupid shit in the background and the guitarist is just like. And it's all offbeat and I notice it and I fixate on it and it's always happening in TV shows and movies. And when I notice that they're doing it right, I notice it because then I'm like, oh, this feels more real. And um, totally. So that that came to mind when I was reading Kyle's question, because I'm always annoyed by the way people play music in TV shows and movies and video games for sure. Ne- it's never right because no one play. I have a, well, I have a dual no shock or a dual shock right here. Like you just hold the controller and you play like this. Yeah, they're, it's always like, doing, they're always doing like, like, <laughs> like they're having like, like they all have Parkinson's while they're playing. Right. It's, it's, it's a, crazy. It's insane. Does this bother you? It does. It does. Like it, it, sometimes it's more agree. Like, uh, look, man, if, if you want to, because sometimes like for comedic effect, I think it works like in a sketch or something where it's like, yeah, whatever. Like you're exaggerating. It's, it's theatric. You know, it's not meant to be real. But like in, in TV shows. It does bother me when they do that thing where like they're like really like bashing on the controller and they're like hitting like 8000 buttons a second. And it's like, what are you what could you possibly be playing guitar hero on yeah. like on your controller? Like so that bothers me. But <laughs> that I'll never forget if if you're listening to listening to this podcast right now, I want you I, do me a favor and do yourself a favor and look up Dexter Halo 3. Because there is a scene in Dexter, Michael C. Hall, is playing Halo 3 on a, on a PC in 2007, by the way, with the arrow keys and the space bar. And it is the most absurd thing. Because all you had to do really was just like, like hey, it's not on PC, big deal, whatever, who cares, it's a computer game. Just grab the fucking mouse. At the very least, use the mouse, the arrow keys. It is such a, it is a befuddling thing. It is very clearly the strangest thing I've ever seen, like for sure, like without a doubt. Because there wasn't on his Wazda. No, no, I can't remember exactly like the specifics, but I just remember. That's good stuff. I remember the mouse did not come into play and I'm like, that is hilarious. Because even before I played games on PC, I knew it looked fucking stupid. I always wonder why companies let their games be used like that because they must have gotten permission to do that. And it's, it reminds me a lot of Breaking Bad when they have that Doom or not Doom. It's uh oh, what is it? It's like Sonic, isn't it? No, no, no. They, they might have that, too. But they have. Uh, why can't I think of the name? The, the id game from 2012. Oh, Rage. Rage. Yeah, they're playing Rage, but they're playing it in like VR or some or like motion controls or something. I'm like, why would you that's clearly you had permission to do this but why why this bastardized version of it i guess it's to get people to talk of course my most my most favorite video game inclusion still is the vita in house of cards which is phenomenal like is that a playstation vita they literally say it it's absolutely amazing i just love it and there's a bunch of playstation stuff in house of cards actually 
<laughs> yeah, they did. Because he did. plays Killzone. Like, he plays Killzone. Like, that. if you're a PlayStation fan and you watch House of Cards, like, that character plays Killzone. Yeah. Because, like, he goes into his basement and plays that game. Yeah. So, like, over and over and over and over again. So, I think it's so funny. It's like, holy shit, that, you know, the congressman is a big Killzone 3 guy. Or that is... It is really fun. I found I found the scene in Breaking Bad. They they play Sonic 06. It's good in, stuff. In Breaking Bad, Jesse Pinkman is playing it with that boy who gets fucking murked. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Spoilers, but I mean, who cares? By the way, the the uh, the comedian we were talking about earlier, John Mulaney. I ah, John up. Mulaney. By the way, I, I looked it up by looking up alcoholic comedian. I hate to admit it, but that's what I did. <laughs> that's a good legacy, I guess. I didn't even know that about him until after I got into him. Nick Potoritis. I'm sorry. I'm mispronouncing that probably wrote in. He has the final one. And this one's for you, Chris. Mm -hmm. Way too many, way too many vowels in that name, by the way. Just too many vowels. Yeah, too much. Hi, guys. Hope you're doing well. This one is mostly for Chris. I just started Destiny 2 the other day. So I said to myself, I'll download the free version. And if I like it, I'll get the expansions. I did this under the impression that I'd be able to play some sort of campaign to get a free feel for the or I'm sorry to get a feel for the lore. However, from what I've seen from the game and read online, it seems like Bungie has removed all of the old campaigns so that the only missions a player on the free version can experience are raids, PvP, and other normal quests that don't explore the universe in any way a main campaign would. Am I missing something? Did free-to-play not work out for Destiny, so this is the way Bungie chose to make people pay for the new content with no ability to access older stuff? Cheers, guys. Keep up the good work. I thought this would be an interesting way, Chris, as we end the show, for you to just kind of tell Nick and others, like, what's the best way for them to get into Destiny right now? What is going on? yeah uh, yeah that's so obviously like i own destiny so i'm not at all privy to how the the free experience works because it has like i i just i wouldn't even be able to try that out if i wanted to i own the game so i had no idea like i did i was aware that they got rid of the old red war campaign which was like the vanilla campaign for destiny 2 in which you know you know everything is set up and whatever they got rid of it because the game is evolving past where destiny 3 would have been and i guess to like save on file size they're like vaulting old content and so they they can bring it back in later as like refreshed content or just to basically slim down the file size so you don't have this like 200 gigabyte mmo on your on your console at any given moment it didn't dawn on me that that would affect free-to-play players that's like a really good point i hadn't thought of there as as it stands right now there really is no good way to get involved with destiny as a free-to-play player the only way really is to buy it but even then man they're, they're they just announced recently that they're going to be vaulting the forsaken campaign which in my view is like the best campaign content that destiny has ever produced in favor of making room for new stuff down the road which i think is super unfortunate like i really don't like that and to be honest i've fallen off of destiny a little bit because this season's too long and there's a there's the Witch Queen coming in, I think, February, which I'm excited for, no doubt. But the way they're handling things right now, it's it's not approachable. And if you weren't already in, I don't know if I could really recommend it to you. Like, pain, like plain, plainly and honestly, I love the game a lot. I've spent a lot of time with it. I'm very familiar with the lore, very familiar with the world. Spent hundreds of hours in Destiny. But... The way they're going about monetization right now, they're, like, making people pay for dungeons now, which, like, were previously free. They're vaulting old content, uh, some of the best content in the game. I don't know, man. I would wait for a response, honestly. Like, I, I would wait for them to kind of 
make a compelling case for why they're doing this and make a compelling case for like why they've decided to make the changes they're making before jumping into it. Because right now, I'm not going to lie to you, it's a really unappealing product at the moment. The game itself, as from a gameplay perspective, is in a good place. But the way they're handling it is they're fumbling it a little bit. I'm not going to lie. So I would wait, um, see what people think of the Witch Queen. I do think it's worth getting into as a paid customer. But I'm not going to tell you to buy Forsaken if they're going to get rid of it in like a month. Right. And it's kind of unclear as to how they're going to do that. So it's a really awkward and uncomfortable position to be in. But that's just the way the game is right now. Sucks. Well, fair enough. I appreciate the candor. I'm sure Nick does as well. Thank you for writing in. And thank you all for writing in. Thank you all for listening. That's all we have, Chris. Yeah. This episode of Sacred Symbols, this old school episode of Sacred Symbols. Do you have any closing comments? Nah, man. You know what? I So I'm going to say this. I recently, I think two days ago, I inhaled an entire pizza pie, an entire like half plain, half pepperoni pizza. No problem, by the way. I could have eaten even more. And I somehow am not violently ill because I really inhaled that thing. Let me tell you. Right. Like it, it's it's it. It was so it, I think maybe I finished it in like 10 minutes. Like It, it was gnarly. You were hungry. And I, I feel like I should be dying, but I'm not. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means I can, like, pack away a lot more now. Because I don't feel like, I don't look like somebody who could do that. You know what I mean? Like, if you no, looked you're at very, me. You're very svelte. You're very svelte. Yeah. Svelte? Yeah, you're very svelte. What's... You're very S-V-E-L-D-T-E, I think is the word. I don't think I've ever heard that in my life. S-V-E-L-D-T-E. Yeah, it's a. Yeah, there it is. Slender and elegant. (laughs) Good. I appreciate it. I'm going to use I'm going to use that as my uh, description. You're slender and elegant. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm happy for you. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do for food yet. I got to I got to walk the dog and and do some things around here. But appreciate your time as always, Chris. And uh, again, thank you all out there for your love, kindness and support of all things sacred symbols, all things last stand. Remember to go to laststandmedia.shop for merch. Uh, all made fairly in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And of course, go to patreon.com slash media to support us there and get early ad free access and all the rest. We'll see you next time for more sacred symbols. I think Dustin will be back next week. Wish him well in the meantime. And yeah. uh, until then, goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred symbols, a PlayStation podcast is a product and trademark of last stand media and Collins last stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SL the FMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Joshua Rids, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh 
Allen Rui, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob 56, William Holbert, Landon Pipkin, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H Trons, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Silvinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Zach Allen, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Joey Rawlings, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K., Brian W. Rath, Alan Trembley, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinslow III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw 7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondoliger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.